You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Destiny in person. This is going to be so much fun, folks. Want to let you know we are very excited. This is a freestyle type of discussion or debate. In other words, it's really up to the speakers. Whatever they would most enjoy discussing, we're going to let them take the conversation wherever they would like to go completely spontaneously. So, want to let you know though, if it's your first time here, consider hitting that subscribe button as you've got a lot more debates coming up. For example, the famous or infamous flat earther Nathan Thompson will be on this Friday for a good old flat earth debate. But, want to let you know, whether you be Republican, Democrat, Christian, atheist, and all the strange creatures in between, we really do hope you feel welcome here. As we are a nonpartisan platform, we have no views, we have no after shows critiquing or claiming one side had victory or loss or anything like that. So, do wanna let you know a couple of quick house cleaning things up front is months ago, we had discussed with the debaters that both Vosh and Destiny said, hey, that sounds great. 100% of the super chats for this stream will be going to charity. Given that you have obviously heard Coronavirus is running rampant right now, and so what we are planning on doing is giving 100% of the Super Chats to a charity that is attempting to alleviate the suffering from the coronavirus right now. And so we'll be in touch with that, but do want to let you know, as Vosh and Steve and I talk about that afterwards, if you would like to see the receipt for that donation, just send me an email. That's something I'll send to Vosh and Destiny as well. But even if it's your first time here, Feel free, we totally want to have that transparency that allows even a first time person here to say, hey, can I see that receipt? I'd love to kind of like know for sure that it's really going where you promise. We will definitely send it to you. And so with that, as I had mentioned, the format is very open. We're just going to let these guys have a good old conversation. If you have any questions for the Q&A at the end, please fire that question into the super or into the live chat. If you have a super chat, that allows you to make a comment toward one of the speakers that they'd of course get a chance to respond to. And then last, do want to let you know, if you do make a super chat or question, we just ask that you'd be your regular friendly self. So thanks so much. And gentlemen, we are thrilled to have you here. The floor is all yours. Thank you. That should sound pretty good. 
Hey, nice to meet you. Finally in person. Hey. After years. Yeah. You uh, look pretty much the same in person. Thanks. You do too. Thank you. I appreciate that. I hope we both look good in our cams. Me too. Um, how's uh, so how so coronavirus? Obviously, we are we, we talked before the um, before the stream because we both been flying recently. Um, we are. This is all CGI. Um, we're not actually next to each other. That would be violating CDC protocol. Uh, we've just been composited in from different sets um, across the state. But how do you feel? I think I guess more importantly about uh, the stock market, like red line go down. You've seen the memes, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a very broad question. How do I feel about the stock market? How do I feel about its impacts on everyday Americans or on? Well, broadly, because uh, well, because in the lefty sphere, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people are really happy because the 2008 financial crisis sort of precipitated a bunch of really strong anti-establishment um, sentiment um, concerning, you know, like uh, we, when the stock markets crash, why does wealth get consolidated with these people and everyone else gets left, you know, out in the street? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are excited, I think, for another sort of catalyzing incident, you know? The accelerationist fervor um, has, has been kicked back up. And I assume you don't agree with that necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it didn't accelerate us towards much in 2008, no. so I don't expect it'll accelerate us towards too much right now. Um, when it comes to lefties, I usually don't talk much about finance or the stock market because usually they're utterly clueless regarding most of it. Um, for instance, the $1.5 trillion uh, repo market thing that was going on with the Fed, most Fed people think that's just burr, stimulus. Burr, yeah, money printing. So, yeah, I mean, most of it, um, those conversations are mind numbingly stupid. Um, I mean, in, insofar as like the stock market crashing now, I, I mean, like the, the ups and downs of the stock market, I don't I think affect the average American that much. Uh, if you're older, retirement, it can be scary. If you are working and you're looking at your 401k, it can be scary. I know my um, parents are scared right now. For example. Yeah, the, the scary thing is going to be downstream of that, like if people start laying off workers or people aren't allowed to go into work, which is what's happening. I think that's the scarier thing for most Americans than you know whether or not some numbers on the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones are going up and down. So like I just I just got an email like an hour ago. Apparently like the state of Ohio is like locking down like a lot of employment or whatever. And then around here in LA, we were just talking about getting food, and a lot of places are closed. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Um, I I don't know how long the country can survive like, you know, like locking off international travel. Th this is unprecedented. I mean, this is like in two weeks. Like this could end up being one of the most, maybe the. I mean, this could end up being like depression era. Like relative, I think. Maybe. Um, Maybe that's a little bit alarmist, but I think we're at least like, verging close with all the shutdowns, the economy, <sighs> stock market freezes, biggest drop in the history of the. Yeah, well, biggest drop, absolute numbers. I, fuck, I wish I, I didn't know we were going to talk about percentage this wise, I think. Well, percentage wise, so I, I'm pretty sure in the Great Depression, I want to say, I want to say 25% of the world's GDP was wiped out, and I want to say that in 2007 it was like 1%. So like in terms of like absolute value, yeah, like billions of dollars are being lost, but like the whole world is far more industrialized, is far more established. The economies have a lot more, um, <clears throat> a, a lot more power to them now than they used to be. You know, a more yeah, and the Dow is not the GDP, of course. They, yeah, they, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I know a lot of pers like people personally. I'm sure you do as well, who are like terrified right now because mm -hmm. a lot of service workers are being laid off. People who work at restaurants, they can't come in. My brother's a chef, you know. He's at home now. Like, what are you going to do? Um, and there are a lot of people. Uh, even Mitt Romney proposed this: the idea of like implementing a temporary UBI. Yeah, cash infusion. Yeah. I, I for the first time, I'm not a huge Yang fan. I actually think that'd be a pretty decent idea here. Do you have any opinions? I mean, on like that? the purpose of like that type of stimulus is to kind of like jump. It is basically you see an economic downturn coming, and you want to inject a little bit of cash into. Um, 
businesses or individuals to get the economy not getting quite as low, um, I don't see a problem with that. Um, a lot of people like, I mean, some people, most Americans can't afford like a, what was a $300 emergency or something? Probably that something fact. like that without going into debt or something. Yeah. If you can't work, I mean rent, like for a lot of people, that's like, oh God, next month. Like I'm dead if I don't come up with something, you know? Sure. To be, um, to well, of course, there's a process to being yeah, evicted, of course. but it's still and also just for for people listening, um, because a lot of people you're have going this, to die. Yeah, well, a lot of people have this idea that like if you fall behind on your mortgage, like banks want to foreclose. Banks don't want to foreclose on your shit. Landlords don't want to kick you out. Like typically, people just want to collect their rent checks and want to collect their mortgages. If you do fall behind on stuff, like especially right now, you're better off like calling whatever financial institution holds your note or like your landlord and be like, hey, like I need like to work out something, whatever. Most people will work with you because the actual process of repossessing property or like going through evicting people. Huge like this is yeah, months yeah, yeah. long of a process depending on which state you live in like finding the, like it's a disaster of course it all stacks up though right i mean then you have like uh, the car payments like daycare for example yeah of course yeah it sucks yeah, yeah there's yeah. a lot of yeah oh man and actually um one of the worst things that a lot of people will miss is schools closing is absolutely catastrophic because if the kids are yeah, yeah. For a lot of people, school is like daycare. The wires, you know? Yeah, like you, you, you don't have to watch your kid for eight hours, but now you finding somebody to watch your kid is going to be, if if even possible, is going to be scary or more financially difficult. Um, and then if you were able to work, but you can't find someone to watch your kid, now you can't work. You got to stay home with your kid. Um, schools are trying to like go out and deliver lunches because a lot of kids, for instance, only get fed at school. Public school, public yeah. lunching, like helps them. Um, and, and I know like a lot of schools are in the process of like trying to like bus out food to some of these children. Like there's a lot of, um, yeah, society grinding to a halt. The mortality rate for children who catch corona is very, very low. We could send them out as little baby carriers, uh, doing the deliveries, you know, picking up supplies from the store. They can fill in the gaps that the older workforce isn't capable of. Is that what socialism needs? That's child labor to bring are it you back? Ca <laughs> hey, listen, there's child labor and then there's child work, okay? okay work, gotcha. we're all here, yeah. Okay. Um, wait, we have to get to that eventually though, right? Child um, labor under <laughs> socialism? Or? Oh yeah, absolutely, that's what I'm here to propose. Okay. No, the, 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 Times of crisis usually sort of incite revolutionary fervor. Mm -hmm. And more so than ever, I think a lot of people are really questioning whether or not the system is capable of handling itself. Um, obviously, it couldn't handle corona. But more broadly, if it can handle the amount of responsibility that's been placed with. And I just, I feel like you're not that receptive to, if not socialism itself, then socialist ideas that can be implemented to. I love ideas. I love ideas too. I love policies. Well, I got one for you. Uh huh. I know we talked about it before. I don't know if it's hip and happening anymore, but worker cooperatives. I know I've tried to sell you on these before. Done a lot more research since we last talked. I do hate reading, of course, functionally okay. illiterate, but I did my best. To be clear, you don't have to sell me on worker co-ops. If worker co-ops work, I, I love worker co-ops. Okay, well then that's great because I sure. know you're, you have a fairly non-ideological approach yeah. towards the implementation of policy, if there is such a thing. You sure. Know? But do you not feel, I mean, we're on, we're on a precipice of like eight catastrophes at once right now. Corona's one, I mean, climate change is obviously the worst of them. And I feel like it's at times like these, we need to be considering things that are outside the, the, the realm of sort of um, conventional discourse. Nobody right now in this country is seriously talking about um, uh, like challenging uh, the wealth or, or the accumulation of power, except for maybe Bernie Sanders and he's not going to win. It seems, so we kind of have to carry the torch there, and if we can't do it through a presidential election, then we have to find other ways. And I don't know how amicable you are to, because I see you criticize that fervor a lot online. People because like the thing Kalinske is, is that like, Hassan, they're yeah, like, you, you know, can feel passionately about something, but at the end of the day, like, we, we need an idea. Like, 
what are you going to do? Like I hear people talk about all the time they want to close the tax loopholes. Well, what type of tax loopholes do you want to close? If I buy a van for my business, should I not be allowed to write that off? Should I, be, should I not be able to carry forward losses into the next year like Amazon does? Like People always have all these great ideas like, oh, we need to close the, the, the tax loopholes. Which ones? Or, oh, we need to make it so that, I, I don't know, raise like corporate tax rates. or like, It's always just like very vague stuff, and it doesn't really target anything. But nuance um, never carries a revolution. I mean, you can specify the details in Congress or whatever, but if you're trying to get people active, you can never say, ah, if you look through, you know, CD page 147, Codex 74, you uh -huh. see specifically this needs to be ripped. Nobody gets energized by that. It's these big, passionate, not necessarily illogical, but these, these, these driven, um, you know, uh, acts of rhetoric, I think, that really inspire change. And that, I think, and one of the problems I have with you, I think, is you're very policy-focused. This is called, like, policy wonk, I think, derivatively, or, or sorry. Um, sure. Uh, what's the, what's the, it starts with the D? Derision? Uh, d yes, that. Okay. With some derision from the left, because these are people who are very, like, obsessed with the intricacies of policy. I think Nate Silver gets this badge mm -hmm. uh, placed on him a lot. But a lot of the really, like, inc like strong positive change that's been made in this country historically hasn't been built on the basis of sort of the calm proposal of specific changes to a complicated set of laws. It's been about very angry people uh, you know, forcing themselves onto the system until the system buckles and eventually has to kowtow. Suffrage, civil rights movement. And the, if we tell these people, like, hey, man, what policies exactly are you so looking like, to remove? The, and this is kind of like one of my big criticisms yeah. of democracy. Uh, is, I, I thought yeah, you were going to say criticism of socialism. So like, okay. My problem is that like, suffrage and slavery are pretty easy like problems and solutions. Women should probably be able to vote. Black people should probably have all the rights afforded to them as white people. When we talk about like the financial structure of the United States and like what is an appropriate form of taxation, how do we do all of these stuff? These are really, really hard questions. Um, I'm all in favor of like riling people up and getting them because I agree, because like sitting here and talking about like, oh well, we need four point seven trillion dollars to fund the Medicaid expansion, blah blah, that's really boring, sure. Yeah. I guess what I'm uncomfortable with when it comes to the left a lot is like the demonization of wealthy people. And that's something that makes me a, a little bit uncomfortable. Um, one, because it's kind of silly. Like, if you were to rob the, the wealth of every single billionaire in this country, you fund the government for, like, I think a couple weeks. So it's not even like they necessarily have that, that wealth unilaterally to just, like, carry everything. And then two, this obsession with, like, hating certain groups of people in order to build a movement, like, I I'm against that, like, in all areas of my life. You know, whether it's people that play PC games shitting on people that play PS4 games, or whether it's on, you know, like, people that, you know, like a certain sport, shitting on other people like a certain sport, or for politics, you know, whether it's like, well, we, you know, I hate billionaires, you know, all these billionaires need to go, and it's like, okay, well, like, w where does that get us at the end of the day? Like, let's talk about the programs we want to fund, let's talk about what we have to do, and then if, you know, if we have to, like, tax the fuck out of some billionaires to get there, yeah, let's do it, that's great, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I want to address that, but first I want to respond to something you said earlier about the the. You think difference. it's okay for PC gamers to shit on? <laughs> oh, sorry. A, a policy I didn't move in on until, by the way, I got my recent computer. Who oh boy, let me tell you, an upgrade. Okay. Um, lots of nice games. Doom Eternal coming out. Okay, um, wasn't paid for that. Um, 
But uh, with what, with regards to what you said earlier, I think now sort of with the the, the rose-tinted goggles of history, we're actually painting over so many of the complexities that surrounded issues like suffrage or abolition back in those days. Um, obviously, from a moral perspective, like what we have today, it's, it's a fairly obvious answer, you know. But back then, the question surrounded like, well, what do we do with the former slaves? We still believe they're genetically inferior. We just don't think they should be enslaved. Should there be like legal provisions made to prevent them from being able to, what about miscegenation? Should we be allowing? And there were a lot of, and at the time, very nuanced arguments going back and forth um, be between abolitionists and um, non-abolitionists. And at the end of the day, it took you know gunpowder and iron sure. to end up resolving the difference. Likewise with suffrage and likewise with the civil rights movement, I in hindsight, these feel like, I, I suppose, fairly obvious moral answers. But I feel like one day, maybe a thousand years in the future, everything goes right, we can look back in this and think like, maybe a system that politically and economically privileges an incredibly small group of people with a different set of class interests from the rest of the people wasn't the best way to ensure maximum happiness for everyone. And that might be simple to them, and they'll be dealing with ghost and robot sex or something. That'll be their yeah, moral Yeah, and I'm not even on. saying that, that like the concentration of wealth in the hands of the few at the expense of the many, is that's not a good thing. I, I, don't, I would hope that nobody agrees with that. Um, even the people that pretend to agree with that only trick themselves into thinking the lower class is doing better than maybe they actually are. But like, <clears throat> when I say that these issues are, are relatively simple, maybe it feels like I'm, I'm painting a little bit too uh, generously the past, saying that like, oh, well, like how do you count African slaves as voters, for instance, or, 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 or yeah, if we think that they're genetically inferior, blah, blah, blah. But like, I, I guess it's like the difference between something like, uh, like Jim Crow, you know, like these are policies on the books, you know, written like, if you go to a bank, you're black, you don't get a loan. You know, like it's very, excuse upon black and white, right? very, very, very <laughs> obvious, right? Whereas like if we were to talk about like systemic or structural racism, I think we can all agree racism equal bad, but like addressing that is like so much more multifaceted um, than, you know, like looking at actual laws written on the books and getting rid of them. I, that's all I'm saying, I guess. It, it reminds and me of kind of like- policing, like how judges act, like discriminate sentencing. Sure. It's yeah. Well, but it's incredibly, no, no, I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Like, the, you know, that's what the, the, the Republican types will always say, you know, find me a racist law in the books. Mm -hmm. Well, if only it were so easy. You yeah, know? of course, yeah. yeah. And then like, I guess it reminds me a lot of like Brexit, for instance. Like, should the UK leave the European Union? That's a pretty easy yes or no, but what does that actually look like? And people found, well, holy shit, that's actually way more complicated than I, I thought it was worse, going to be. Yeah, yeah, and there's so much more going on. And, and, and Cameron and everybody was like bounced out of there. And they're like, all right, good luck, figure it out. Um, yeah, just I, it feels like because things are so globalized today, because things are so interconnected today, uh, I think especially in the United States, something that a lot of younger people, me included, don't realize is politics in the U.S. used to be incredibly localized. Like the political things that you cared about was your union, your parish, and your neighborhood, and like your city. And that was like your political focus. Um, and these days, everything is ultra fucking globalized. You feel very disconnected from everything that's going on. You know, like you're one vote in, in a bucket of, of uh, 300 million or whatever. I don't know how many, what the voting population yeah, of the US yeah, is. Yeah. Um, yeah, like so much has changed um, that it, it feels like there are certain problems that are gonna be very, very hard to deal with with, with our current system. Leaning towards confederation, 50 separate states, you know, uh, duke it out anytime there were border disputes. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to say that. Hey, like, that I love sure. local yeah. politics. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You know, Seattle uh, got a pretty vibrant local political scene. Mm -hmm. um, they've recently resisted like Amazon's incursion into the city, which 
you know, obviously technicalities aside, we're very happy about. Um, and I think that uh, from an you know an alienation level, people tend to be happier when they can directly relate to the effects of policy. Yeah, you I, show up at a town hall meeting, you're talking about stuff that's passing the, like your neighborhood, and there's your officials there. that are writing and voting on the legislation. Feels a lot better than just watching it on CSN, CNN, or Fox News. You can or throw a shoe at them. You might get a night in the slammer. You know, if you try to throw, show through the president, it's much harder. Sure. Um, I just. And I respect the nuance of many of these discussions. I try when because you know I have an audience now too, and I try to be responsible. I think because I do agree sometimes the revolutionary fervor mm -hmm. moves in a direction that I don't think is is sustainable. Um, like uh, like for example, you said like hating billionaires and stuff. Now I'll be candid with my personal beliefs. I do generally believe that most of the extremely wealthy people in this country and most of the higher level politicians are disgusting sociopaths. I do. I do believe that. But I do agree with you in that the uh, the formation of political movements on spite is incredibly destructive. This is uh, one of the one of the reasons why there have been so many um, co-opted left-leaning revolutions over the past century that ended up turning into, I mean, got, you know, like a, a kill a third of the population, everyone with glasses, mm -hmm. you know, with, uh, with, with Pol Pot, for example. Now, that's not exactly an enviable or replicable example, but I do think that turning spite uh, into a political force is dangerous. But at the same time, what do you do if the politics of a system are so entrenched that it is not possible to move within that system through sort of the grounds of civil policy discussion and address it, certainly not in time. I mean, we were up against the wall with climate change a while ago, and what's been done to challenge the power that coal and oil lobbies have over government? I mean, very, so with, with I just, Citizens United, it's gotten worse, if anything. I don't know if I, my views on this have changed so much over time. I don't know if I buy, when it, when it comes to climate change, I don't know if people are actually really ready to do something about it. Because like, I don't know if the solution to climate change is legislation in Congress so much as like, all of us have to collectively come together and start to make sacrifices to do it. And I don't know if the average person is on board with that. Um, this might be something where we split. Um, this is an, an argument I get into with a lot of people that say like, well, co-ops would help climate change because like the oil workers uh, could yeah, blah, blah, blah. I know that argument. But like, I don't know if that's actually true. You know, if there are people that enjoy working, like the, the problem with climate change is twofold. One is that the uh, damaging effects happen over a long period of time, which intrinsically we're not wired to deal with very well. We have to learn how to deal with delayed gratification. That's one. And then two, the effects of climate change aren't localized. So I can drive my car around a pool I want, but it's not like those fumes are in my house at the end of the night. You know, like more or less the air here, you know, doesn't smell like horribly smoggy and polluted. Maybe somebody from like, New Zealand or somebody will contest that. But like, I don't yeah, think it like yeah. smells like I'm in a garage or whatever. Um, and, and neither of these two things are, those two huge drawbacks really hamper our ability to do anything about climate change. I don't think socialists could deal with it any better than capitalists could, any better than a green movement could. Like, it's just really hard to get people like really riled up until you literally have like countries, you know, on fire and falling apart. Right. And even then, I mean, Australia still, the prime minister wasn't willing to, you know, mm -hmm. we get forest fires all the time. Yeah. Or brush fires, sorry. Yeah, brush, yeah. yeah. Brush fires. Um, yeah. The um, hell state, by the way, or hell country, Australia, mm -hmm. um, 98 degrees you know, just year-round perpetually. I can't imagine living over there right now. My God. Um, that these people contend with their politicians is, is, is a miracle to me. I worry, though, that you're naturalizing how um, uh, uh, slovenly, how, how disinterested the population is. It's been the argument of people like academics like Noam Chomsky, you know, I know I bring him up a lot, but mm -hmm. um, in his work, you know, Manufacturing Consent, it's this big, like, sort of thesis on the many ways in which the power structures in our society move people's opinions within like, sort of like, a, like, like herding cattle. 
sure. into an acceptable range. And I do feel as though the alienation people experience or the, the distance people feel from their voting consequences, I know you've complained about that before, where people just cast a vote and they don't even think, especially with foreign policy mm -hmm. or, or environmental issues. I think that many of these um, sort of negative uh, uh, components to our democracy are a product of deliberate, or if not deliberate, at the very least manufactured um, uh, efforts on the part of people who control our society. The news has always been biased. I don't think it's ever been this bad, for example. Um, the, the extent to which um, our opinions can be molded, I now with like ads that track everything you look online and they can uh -huh. specifically move you into certain demographics to maximize how much they can sell to you. It worries me because democracy functions fundamentally in the assumption that people are generally speaking aware Informed. of what's going on. Yeah. yeah, but capitalism in some ways, I think, that can be addressed, not all of them, but in some ways, um, pollutes that flow of information uh, for a profit motive. Sometimes maliciously, like when the oil companies will like lie about the, this spill or this impact, and sometimes just as a natural consequence of the way information and media moves. So we, we can talk for hours about, I guess, like the extent to which media oh, yeah. influences people versus people influence media. Um, to, 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 back, to bring it back to like an effective political area, one thing that I would like to see, like I'll say the progressive movement in the United States do, uh, um, out, so this isn't like the revolutionaries, but like the people that are still pretty far left. Um, the, the two things that I would like to see is one, pick like a couple issues and like go hard on that. I feel like having somebody like Bernie Sanders who wants to do nationwide rent control, Medicare for all, uh, Green New Deal, federal jobs guarantee. Like when you're trying to do every single thing, I feel like maybe it would be better, I'm gonna say this horrible, horrible word, compromise mm. on like a couple of things <laughs> and then just like your stake in the ground is like Medicare for all, that's a deal break. This has to be it. That's it. This is the one thing that we're pushing harder than everything else. You want to keep guns? Okay, fine, whatever. Um, you know, you want to keep Hispanic people from immigrating here? Okay, fine, whatever. But Medicare for all, that's the thing we're going to do, goddammit. That one thing. I'll like, give them guns. Sure. You know? Focusing in on like one or two strong political positions and like really driving that, I feel like would be more successful than the overall revolutionary approach. And then two, the fervor and the, and the rabid support for people like Bernie Sanders, I think is awesome. That's great. Bernie, whether Bernie wins or loses, um, his, his fan base is absolutely loyal, ride or die, which is good, which is, that's an incredibly positive thing. But like focusing that energy into positivity or at least directing the negativity away from people that are kind of your allies, I think is the second thing I would like to see. Like if you're a huge Bernie Sanders supporter, that's awesome. And if you take all that fucking hatred you have for Bernie not making it and all the establishment, blah, 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 and you turn it on the Republicans, that's great. But when we start saying things like Pelosi or Pete Buttigieg are fascists or that Obama was like a, a neoliberal fascist shill or whatever, it's like, damn, well now like the political effectiveness of your movement is completely evaporated into nothing. Like whatever you wanted to do or achieve is gone because Bernie Sanders was gone. And y you know, maybe you shift Biden to the left a little bit on a few things. I don't even know how much is attributed to Bernie there versus just like the general democratic sentiment. It's but impossible to know. Yeah. yeah. Um, th those, those would be the two things. So like staking out like one or two big policy points that you want to do and then like at least directing your vitriol away from people that are your allies and could be working the, with you. I mean, that's the issue though. You've heard, I assume, lefties say that Democrats are controlled opposition. Everyone is controlled opposition, depending on who you are. Right, right. Of course, sure, of course. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah, how high up the strings go. Sure. You know, you've got the Jews, and then you have Kellogg's cereal controlling the mm -hmm. real. Um, 
I've heard people, I've heard Republicans say even Ben Shapiro, or not Republicans, but like alt-writers will say like Ben Shapiro is controlled <laughs> opposition or certain people are controlled, yeah, Richard ben, Spencer's ben controlled ben opposition. Ben and Netanyahu are yeah, together. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, everyone is controlled opposition if they don't represent everything perfectly. Yeah. Con controlled opposition is a conspiratorial term. I don't generally like using it, but there's a sentiment behind it that I can get behind. Mm -hmm. And the concern, and this is historically verifiable, is that what we need is serious change. We, there are people in this country, I think, are suffering past uh, uh, an acceptable extent. There will never be perfect equality or perfect economic justice, but at this time, such an egregious amount of wealth is diverted. I mean, God, you know the Panama Papers, nothing even came of that, but we, I mean, we know the system fundamentally is broken. Uh, healthcare, education failing, politicians not really, uh, the bills that get passed don't tend to represent the popularity of those bills with the average person, but the wealthy per people, they get a pretty consistent, you know, positive curve. There are so many problems, and all of the progressives in this country are the lefties. You know, we get really fired up, we get really revolutionary, and then somebody like Barack Obama comes around, and he masquerades as a progressive, and then he gets eight years, three million undocumented immigrants get deported, concentration camps in the south border are built, and we get from this what? A watered-down heritage foundation plan, and admittedly, a good thing, the Iranian deal. We got Dead. the ACA and the Iranian deal. And I, I, Supreme I, Court, at least, not the last one, but some Supreme Court. Right, right, of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, and again, like, it sucks, but But this like, goes on forever, this sine wave. Th so this is the eternal crux the, the eternal pain and paradox of the progressive, that a progressive will just doesn't seem to understand. Oof. The problem is, is that um, progressives don't understand. If you ask a progressive how they feel about things, like where is America at on like Medicare for All or the Green New Deal? They'll, what they'll tell you is like, I'd say like 80% of Americans are for it. It's just the corporations and, and the politicians standing away. That's not true. There's a lot of work that has, like when you talk about Obama got in and he couldn't get anything done, Technically, that's a good thing. That's democracy in action. Obama didn't have the Senate. He didn't have Congress for six years because he wasn't popular enough. That was the will of the American people speaking. Now, we can talk to some extent, you know, things like gerrymandering. There are different types of voter suppression that happen that are definitely bad. But there is a sizable chunk of American people that just didn't want to see Obama do his thing. But this is the contention or the contradiction, I suppose, because you have serious issues with how democracy functions. Mm -hmm. But then I say we need to make serious change. And you point out, well, hey, democracy says we can't move forward. We have to keep things the way they are. Well, okay, well, there are two separate arguments. I'm not a fan of democracy because of, look at where the fuck we are now. But um, you, if you want to make change, I think that you have to do it within the system that exists now. Um, mm -hmm. I, like, you could go for a revolution, but no one knows what that looks like. And right now, life is, life is decent for most people. Like, That's very relative. A lot of people feel a severe amount of economic anxiety right now. Sure. And, and I agree. I mean, of course, everything is relativistic. You yeah. Know? But at the same time, and, and it's difficult to make assessments like, how much, how much are you maximizing well-being compared to the total potential limit of your society? Sure, and I'm not even it's going through some weird utilitarian calculus, but like, if you read, um, I can't even remember any, like the English books we read after the Great Depression or whatever, like, we right. didn't hit that after 2007. Like, it no. didn't sink to that level where people are like killing themselves over like a slice of bread underneath some train tracks. While that's a low bar to set. It, of no? course it is. I'm, I'm just saying that like it's important to recognize that we have made some progress, that things that Obama did were were transcendent. The idea that America had any type of healthcare, anything passed was unbelievable. The ACA sucks compared to what it could have been, but it was uh, it was a, a massive leap forward compared to, to where we were. And the Iranian deal could have sent a new benchmark in terms of American foreign policy, like an approach to the Middle East that doesn't involve us like fighting with with all the, the Shia people. Like that would have been amazing. That would have been so cool to see that type of relationship with Iran, a country that for good reason has very uh, tepid relations with the United States. I won't I yeah. won't criticize the Iranian deal. I mean, it's, again, it's you know it's funny the sure. one thing that he 
did that I am unequivocally, you know, proud of or happy for um, is the thing that didn't interrupt any of the class interests, the people who, you know, uh, sure. the most prominent in this country. Everyone wants peace with Iran, unless you're a fucking idiot, you know. Uh -huh. um, but I'm very pro-democracy. I love democracy. I, I advocate for democracy in the workplace. I mean, I want it everywhere, you know. Spray my, spray paint my house, democracy. Uh -huh. But the issue is, I don't think democracy is really a measurement of what the people want. What the people want is ephemeral and changes depending on the influences they're subjected to. Sure. Back in the days of the Civil Rights Movement, most people had a very unfavorable opinion of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Back in the days of abolition, most Americans, I mean, uh, uh, Lincoln had to like Shanghai, like American support into, um, into engaging in the war, you know, and it was only sort of because of a legal technicality that they were even able to muster the 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 forces necessary to really bring abolition about. Mm -hmm. And when we when we see all of this at the time, at those times, all of the good things that happened would have been considered, I think, by people in positions such as yours, very progressive-minded people who are concerned about adhering to sort of the acceptable uh, limits of political movement. Um, to be impossible, or at the very least inadvisable. Sure, so and the past, I just want yeah, yeah, to yeah. conclude, the past century, ever since the Great Depression and the, the New Deal, has been a slow process of erosion of, not for all, of course, gay rights, great, fantastic, we move forward in some respects, but in a lot of ways, particularly economic, we have made little or negative progress with rights and, and, and uh, you know, unions being eroded, uh, regulations being rolled back, tax brackets being flattened, and um, in, in some ways, things have arguably gotten worse. I mean, there are people who have made the argument, for example, that post-Jim Crow, the effects of the, um, the war on drugs have actually had a proportionally greater negative impact on the black community than Sure, or you look at the 2007, uh, the amount of wealth that was wiped out that largely was restored to a lot of families and didn't get restored with a lot of African-American ah, families whoops. that were, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Sure. And, and uh, when, when you look at this, like, God, you know, the, 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 we get minor benefits and then they get rolled back and minor benefits are rolled back and everything we do in this country, every good thing eventually gets kicked back mm -hmm. by corporate power or the people who represent it. And at some point you have to think like, maybe we get rid of the antagonist, you know? Maybe we work a little bit outside the system gainfully, hopefully, mm -hmm. or we incite people to do so in the hopes that this cycle, this perpetual cycle of, of misery can be overturned and we can actually make real progress and then we see where the policies lie. Yeah, I guess so like, to, to be clear, um, when, I'm, when I'm critical of some people, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm critical of people thinking that there is a one-way approach to figuring out every problem, but rather like, I would look at like, politics isn't like, you know, hammer versus hammer, and then who can hit the hardest is the winner. Rather, like, the political landscape has room for all sorts of different type of actors, um, types of actors. Like, for instance, you know, you had your Martin Luther Kings and you had your Malcolm X's, you know, and, and I think that both of these types of figures like played probably important roles in actually getting what they wanted done. And, and I think it's important to recognize that it, it's really good to have like our Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanderses, our multiple Bernie Sanders, and our Bernie like our, Sandai. yeah, and our Alexandria Ocasio Cortezes and our Ilhan Omars and all of these very very progressive people. That's awesome. And having them there on the side, you know, being activists more than politicians, pushing people in a certain direction, that's fine. But at the end of the day. As much as it, it pains me to say it, people like the Pelosi's and the Hillary Clinton's and the Obamas, these are the people that are pushing through some of that change. Um, like these activists on the side, and I say on the side, I don't mean that in a negative way, have a very real goal, um, which is to like shape and, and shift the, the American population's opinion regarding certain, uh, I wouldn't even say policy, certain ideas. But at the end of the day, you need a politically effective machine that can start moving those ideas through office. And I think that it's important to recognize that there is value in both of those things. Too quickly, it seems like people are very quick on the 
on both sides, really, on the activist side, to say, I hate politicians. You know, If Obama was a man, he would have just executive actioned every fucking possible piece of legislation That's and abolished Congress and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you have those people. And then you also have the people that are, are like, you know, hey, Bernie Sanders is a worthless fuck. All of these progressives need to just go away. You guys need to get out of here. I hate all of you, blah, 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 without recognizing that, well, there's probably a reason why people like even Hillary Clinton supported a 15 an hour minimum wage, nationally speaking. Um, and it probably had a little bit to do with Bernie Sanders and the fervor that his movement started. Um, I, I think that there can be value founded in multiple different types of actors. So whether it's like, as much as I hate him, whether it's like the Kyle Kalinskis or the Hassans online that are drumming up, you know, support of the base, or whether it's people like Pelosi that are running around Congress whipping votes. I think that all of these people working together to like affect change is a better idea than waiting for the revolution. No, this I agree with. I can absolutely get behind this. Because, of course, back in the, um, back at the turn of the century, you know, during the Gilded Age, mm -hmm. a lot of the labor movements that we saw ended up, you know, we get the 40-hour the, the, the work week and the weekends and no child labor. And a lot of this was pushed for by people who I suppose would have been me 100 years ago, you know. But the actual changes were hammered out, you know, across the T's, dot the I's by politicians and by the people who try to channel that energy into the political space. And I agree there's a need for these two things. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should have like a, a re revolution every time like a fishing trade deal needs to be renegotiated with, with Mexico, you know, in the Gulf. I think it's very, very important to recognize that sometimes there have to be uh, uh, capitulations made. The question is, what do you do if they're not coming fast enough? Like. It's, if you think of it as a stopgap, maybe we, people like me or Hassan are engines that build energy and we, we try to get people as excited as possible and we get mm -hmm. them to write letters and pressure people and say mean things on Twitter, which is of course as cathartic as it is effective. And, um, and, uh, and then we look at our elected officials, we check like, hey, how's the pressure working? And just recently, I think within the past 24 hours, Nancy Pelosi shot down uh, uh, sort of backroom deals that were taking place concerning a stimulus bill for like the average worker. Um, uh, Barack Obama uh, 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 didn't push back in the Republicans like anywhere near hard enough. He allowed that Senate seat, or not Senate, sorry, Supreme Court seat to go to, um, to a Republican pick because he wasn't willing to fight the fight. Well, and he, he I, couldn't do anything. <laughs> well, I, I've, I, have, I have had uh, uh, talks, I have looked at things. It seems like there were legal precedents for doing something if s the Senate refuses to do its job. But we get, okay. we get an eight-year progressive presidency change and w we get two, poli two policies from it. One of which is now woefully inadequate. I think most people agree the ACA was a compromise, even at the best of yeah, days. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and the Iranian deal has been overturned, but that's not Barack Obama's fault. Um, mm -hmm. And, or and maybe it is, DACA. It, uh, the, thi the thing is, is that Obama, it's funny because people are always like, we need a stronger president to just get out and do these things. And to some extent, Obama did. That's where we got DACA from. Congress couldn't move on it. Well, now I'm going to do it via executive action. Yeah, but I'm, now we I'm, see the problem with stuff like that is, well, as soon as the next guy comes in, now it's gone by executive action. <laughs> like, right, but, but it, exactly. Yeah. The, all the changes are temporal. That's why I always told the people mm -hmm. who, who listen to me, you know, Bernie Sanders gets in office. Do you think that fixes anything? The fight, I mean, that's where the that's real the frustration. That's the fight is beginning there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah. If you think it was fun, like listening to him, the epically owned people on Twitter, God, imagine him like arguing to get like bills passed through through McConnell. It'd be it's nightmarish, you know. Mm -hmm. We'll all yeah, and the Democrats wouldn't even have ourselves. the Senate, so that would be a monumental. I mean, there are ways to do it, but the political pressure required for that, because you, it's like you're you're always fighting like sword and shield, like you're fighting battles, you know, on your more extreme ends to get legislation passed. But you also have to protect your moderate districts. That that was the blue wave, yeah, and you know, was getting all of those moderates out to to, to vote and flip those districts blue. And we are and and. There's, this is interminable. There's no way through this, not through the system as it exists it's now, a fight, but yeah. there is an outside pressure that is affecting all of this, and it disproportionately negatively affects us. The pressure of capital, 
And, and that is to say, more broadly, if I may, that if we look, generally speaking, who passes legislation that favors business interests, Trump with his tax cuts, who uh, uh, maneuvers the political discourse in this country in such a way as to be favorable to those who already have power, this is obviously more of a Republican thing. But even the Democrats kowtow to a lot of these policies. And this is an outside pressure that makes it very difficult even for us to work within uh, these the, the, the civil means of democratic legislature. I dream of a world where I can have arguments with policy wonks over the nuances of some stimulus bill or whatever, but I'm doing so in a world where there's not an incredibly powerful collective entity weighing their thumb on the scale more heavily sure. than the collective uh, you so know, this, voter population. Yeah, this is, I guess, just this brings us back to a fundamental disagreement. I think that your, your economic system is a vehicle for whatever your particular population believes. I think that a socialist system could be just as racist and corrupt as a capitalist system. I mean, like if we go back and we look at this country in the you know in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, um, you know, but through through the Jim Crow era, you know, there were times where the only reason black people could even get into certain neighborhoods is because a real estate broker like saw an opportunity to to to, to like break a block, to, to do like blockbusting, where, where they would they would go in and they would find you know a white family and offer them twice as much money for their house to get them to move out because otherwise white people wouldn't sell to black people ever. Um, this is like the only way that black people could actually start to get some forms of real estate. Um, and, and you look at some of the ways that unions worked um, in the Jim Crow era, even when federally we start to legislate like, hey guys, no more discrimination, um, a lot of these unions fought tooth and nail to hold on to the, the structures that they had set up. Um, I, like I know I'm, I'm more familiar with Boston than anything else, or not Boston, I'm sorry, Baltimore than anything else, but um, in, um, in Baltimore, a lot of these unions had like all of these seniority systems where even when federally we got rid of a lot of the, um, a lot of the types of discrimination that existed, because of the way the seniority system was set up, um, there was no way that black people were ever going to get into any of these other jobs because white people held them for longer. And as soon as black people started to protest to get into, a lot of these people in the unions just went on strike. Um, and, and I mean, I, I see, and these were like strong unions at the time, like United Auto Workers, like steel workers, these were really powerful unions. Um, the idea that just like collectivizing and hoping that fixes racism or any of these structural or systemic problems. I, I mean, I've seen it happen in, yeah, go ahead. I just want to say, I'm not a- Or wait, real quick. I, I've seen it oh, happen yeah, in these yeah. more socialized systems. I just don't believe it's going to magically disappear if you change your, your system of economics. Yeah, okay, I'm not a class reductionist. I mm -hmm. don't believe that socialism can fix all of our social woes. Um, racism, for example, there are a lot of people um, who claimed, for example, that the Soviet Union like abolished racism or whatever, um, when in fact, though they were better in black-white relations than uh, the United States was, that's because they didn't have a black-white issue in they the USSR. They had like seven black they people. Their, <laughs> right, they had their own, okay. they had their own racial groups yes. that they were also, yeah, well, yeah. We just call them all white people, but. But it, to it, them, it yeah. was very yeah, serious to them, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, uh, uh, so so I, I'm not under the impression that, though I guess the USSR did make advances with women that were pretty serious, but uh, you know, whatever. Um, the point that I'm making, though, is that I don't believe that that ultimately uh, all economic systems are an equal representation of the will of the people, so to speak. I mean, we know, for example, that uh, when it comes to maximizing, like you know, utility and human happiness, feudalism is an infinitely worse system than like a capitalist democracy, like a liberal, you know, um, the, the systems we have today. Because back then they had no means through which to express their will, and it was just the powerful keeping their boot on them, and blah blah. And obviously, things are better today, but. One of the reasons that things were able to get better was because with the advent of public education and a shift in the public discourse, people began to think of themselves in different ways, such as to build a civil society. Back in the days of feudalism, um, I'm sure every 
serf hated their lord to some extent, or maybe not, but I imagine it was pretty widespread. But in terms of the collective language and understanding, you know, human egalitarianism, representative democracy, this language didn't exist to them. They literally were philosophically not relevant at the time. And today, I think, we see a similar problem where we have the outcomes of, of alienation and of the distancing between the um, the, the, the process of like electing a representative and how that process is actually delegated and who is sort of supporting campaigns behind the scenes, that it's difficult for people to genuinely actually act in their class interest. This is what, um, oh, um, what's it called? I'm sure you know the term as well as I do. Class something, class, I'm pushing for it. Uh, class, uh, no. class consciousness. Oh, okay. Right, that's what class consciousness is all about. It's the belief that through the system as it exists, people's actual, not will, because that's a weird, the will of the people is a fascist sort of sentiment, but the interests of the people are being suppressed. I don't believe every problem can be fixed. I do believe, through socialism, I do believe many problems stem through an unhealthy relationship between the capital owners and the politicians in this country, and that there is no way to split them up without severe action being taken. They're behind many bad things that have taken place. We don't need to get into specifics, I suppose, um, over the past century, both domestically and foreign. And I don't know, I just, we're never gonna legislate these people out. We're like ticking down when it comes to certain catastrophes. I don't know if we can wait around until, uh, you know, Miami is up ankle deep. Like, oh, hey, maybe we should stop letting oil companies, you know, roll hundreds of millions of positive coverage for the candidates who will pass bills in their favor. I don't think we have that kind of time. I think the urgency is needed. And if the people who are pushing through the bills, Pelosi, Obama, whatever, Pete Buttigieg, um, are stopgapping too hard, if they're not letting change happen at an acceptable pace, I think it's ob the obligation of people like me to say, we have to circumvent. We have to move around this wall. I guess I just don't know if I believe. Sorry, that, that was a lot. I apologize. Sure, yeah, I don't know if I believe that the the interests of billionaires is so fundamentally different than the interests of working class people. Um, when it comes to things like tax policy, sure. But when it comes to things like global warming, I don't think a lot of billionaires are legitimately thinking like, well, if half the planet floods, I'll probably just go move somewhere and be chill. I'm pretty sure most people are opposed to these types of like, well, if we focus specifically on climate change, like even ExxonMobil, I think for the past decade, has had a neutral stance on climate change where they got rid of their, oh, well, it probably doesn't happen. Um, the problem is that people have vested interests in the areas that they're a part of, and they'll represent those interests. So if you have a lot of money that's tied up in fossil fuels, you're more likely to represent fossil fuels. But like, that's as true for the business owner, it seems, almost as much as the workers themselves. Like, how many, like, just here in LA, um, I, for people that live here, uh, that we, I think we're ready to flip the switch on the cheapest solar farm in the world. And we can't do it because the fossil fuel unions here are protesting because they don't want to lose their jobs. Um, like, I'm just not sure if I totally buy into this idea that flipping the switch to another economic system would, would even would even start to address any of these problems. Um, you know, we talk about like alienization from labor and whatnot, um, or, or, or alienization from alienation from from society in general. You know, I, I mean, a lot of this can go back to the impacts of technology or industrialization on people. The idea that we drive 20 minutes to go to a job rather than having things more like locally set up. You could plan cities in entirely different ways, but we but we don't because we travel so far to work. Um, the impacts of the internet 
social media and everything on children going through school has had, I'm pretty sure it's like universally seen as a horrendous negative that kids are on Facebook and everything. Um, the, the lack of localization in politics, the fact that nobody cares anymore and they just watch the national news and they're not invested in their own local scene. I don't know how many of these things necessarily just go away because we change like the, the particular type of economic organization we have. Maybe it can start to address some things, but I think that you have more or less all the same problems and you still have to find other tools to deal with it. You know, when we spoke about like lobbying last time, for instance, should lobbying be made illegal? Well, nobody thinks lobbying should be illegal. Every, every company should have a chance to make its case to a legislative body or to the public. Um, but, but, you know, I wouldn't expect a, a coalition of workers that represents, you know, fossil fuels to be any more honest about their jobs than a capital owner for fossil fuels. Um, just because that's where their interests lie. Like, I think you need another tool. Like, in both socialism or capitalism, you would need some sort of like third-party um, third body that arbitrates these types of things. It looks at the situation and then determines, you know, what's better for public interest. So, before I address that, because I absolutely do believe that a change in the the means of production would lead to a change in how the relationship between the worker and the business. Not broadly mm -hmm. speaking, you know, the power structures. I do want to say then. If your contention isn't specifically with the means of production then, and more broadly with the way in which these powers are abused, do you have any solution to the rampant abuses of power and general harm that's being caused by, by essentially by corporations that politicians have a financial interest not to address. Even if we leave aside socialism, there's no denying from the opioid crisis, which is killing tens of thousands and putting hundreds of thousands in hospital beds because they just lied about how addictive the products is. It's sort of a dark mirror of the tobacco industry, you know, 50 years ago, to, God, auto industries lobbying to prevent uh, cities from implementing public transport, uh, to just everything that happens here. Almost every bad thing in this country has some sort of financial interest pressing on it. What do you suggest be done about that? Especially, we're sure. just, we're running out of time. Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, it's funny that you bring up because like taxi drivers that are unionized also like champion against you no, know, Uber no, and Lyft I, I know, and whatnot coming in as well. So I mean, like both sides do it. Like it just depends on like what this particular issue looks like. Um, in, in terms of what can be done, um, I firmly believe as much as some people may be saying it, we, at, at a surface level at the very least, we definitely live in a democracy. If we wanted to tomorrow, we could vote on every single congressperson. Nothing can stop you. There's gerrymandering, whatever. If we really wanted to do it, we could do it. So there's, so we have to ask a, a little bit of a deeper question. Well, why do people vote, you know, as you would say, against their class consciousness or against their class interests? Like, what, why are they not able to vote in line with that? Um, I, I think that the two major issues, these are one and the same that I have a problem with, is one is media, and, and then two is, like, technology united with media. So for, for the first thing, for media, I don't think it's good that like our, our mainstream media stations are relatively partisan. Um, I don't know if it's good that like if you're a left person, you can turn on CNN. If you're a right person, you turn on Fox News. That type of divide just increases partisanship and probably drives people away from figuring out what's actually happening because you're more likely to listen to your version of the alternative facts. I think that's a huge problem. And then, an and then a second huge problem is with the advent of alternative media, um, the unionization of the profit motive with um, technology has created something wholly evil on the internet. Um, you talked about it earlier, the idea that I can hone in, I can craft this perfect profile of you to figure out what types of videos you want to watch, and I can send you down the deepest, darkest rabbit hole I can so that you're watching fucking 50 million videos. I hope you like Alex ad. Jones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, if I watch, go. oh, click the Destiny video where he mentions Ben Shapiro. Well, here's Joe Rogan, here's Jordan Peterson, here's Alex Jones, here's Ben Shapiro, like every, you know, right-leaning and then all right-leaning eventually person. Yeah, I think that those two things are huge problems that need to be addressed. I think that there has to be some form of government intervention when it comes to informing the, the public of what's going on. I don't think that what we have right now works. Um, whatever I would suggest 
as an alternative to it would be something that would make me uncomfortable because it would require a dramatic intervention of government into the, that industry, which leaves itself susceptible to all the problems of government, for instance, Donald Trump being president. Um, but I would be willing to take that over what exists now, which I think is leading us down a pathway uh, to destruction. I think, I, I mean, I certainly agree that these are serious problems that need to be addressed. I just wonder if we're pulling back the, um, the focus a little bit um, too far. When it comes to, for example, the way media influences people, you know, partisanship and what have you. I like partisanship. Personally, as a more radical-leaning person, I love the fact that people these days are uh, so radically divided that we don't even see the same world. And the reason for that is because I think that the, um, the lines are being drawn a little bit more clearly. Um, now that things are more partisan, it's more easy to see um, who um, or what the beliefs of people who are just cucks to the establishment really are. If you take your average Trump supporter, for example, and pardon me for being partisan, you know, but um, these people are um, uh, insane, in my personal humble opinion, and much of that insanity comes from them replicating rhetoric that has been digested and fed to them by, like you said, Fox News, for example. Fox News just ob obliterates people, you know, from the, from the jaw up. Uh, if you watch it too much, it's boomer side, really. And, um, and when we look at people who have been subjected to that degree of sort of media, um, uh, 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 I guess synthesis, yeah, brainwash, whatever term you want, it's very loaded, but we're all subject to brainwashing. You know, anyone who watches me will have a certain opinion, you certain, like, that's just how we work. Um, uh, my community spawned from yours. God knows there's been influences with regard to that. That's just how human beings uh, get their information and try to parse it. But if you look at the kinds of things people who succumb to that process believe, um, to varying extents, these, I think, extend beyond the reach of partisan media. I think this extends well, well, well beyond that point. Um, I think it extends to a point now where, I mean, I think the easiest example of this is the fact that even comparatively left-leaning um, news channels like MSNBC and CNN have in some, I suppose this is maybe contentious to you, but I would say that their reporters have demonstrated in some instances a clear bias against Bernie Sanders and some of his ideas. I'm not claiming that makes the election results illegitimate, but it means that even within the purview of left-leaning you know, you really think comparing media. Bernie Sanders to a Nazi invasion is <laughs> evidence of bias in some people? Listen, hey, I'll, all I'm saying is uh, we're keeping Central Park fired up, okay, in case he decides to come out of retirement sure. um, in Minecraft. Um, but it's difficult because even in these spaces, there's no room for this discourse. The, the Overton window is kept relatively contained when it comes to certain economic issues. On social issues, you know, on Fox News, you can call like uh, Mexican subhuman, get a, you know, a, a deal for it. And on MSNBC, you can talk about how body language indicates that Bernie Sanders has harbored misogynistic thoughts towards Elizabeth Warren. But when it comes to economic discourse, very narrow range, very, very narrow. Taxes, maybe a bit higher or maybe a bit lower, you know, or maybe a lot lower, you know. Uh, um, when it comes to uh, uh, dealing with um, like welfare or, or social programs, uh, oh, may maybe we can slightly increase the range of people affected by this, or maybe we can defund all of it. Maybe we can just kill everyone, who knows. Broad range of discourse maybe on the far right side when it comes to that kind of stuff because it's in their interest. I don't see that being broken by anything other than substantive change. I, I know I keep, I keep saying this rather urgently, like time we're like running out. Uh, uh, and I say that, I think, because these are problems that have been addressed before. Um, the, while we don't have socialism in this country, you know, there have been socialists in it for a long time, and the way in which the, um, the propagation of business interest influences people's opinions and makes them act out of their class interest is a subject that's been studied, addressed, 
confronted and overcome in battles in the past. You mentioned unions, and it's true. Unions act in their own interest and nobody else's. Um, back in the days, you know, one of the most effective tactics to make unions ineffective around the turn of the century was to propagate racist propaganda, um, which sometimes union, or sorry, uh, uh, um, corporations would do in tandem with city leaders because the unions wouldn't take black folk, and if there are black workers at a given business, they're not part of the union, they're not going to strike along with them, meaning you get free scab workers. And all of this was deliberately orchestrated, the dissemination of ideas antithetical to their class interest, concentrated at a very uppermost bracket of capital. And it was addressed, and we dealt with it, kind of. And it feels like now we're, we, we have no choice, like this is it. This is the problem we've been facing for the entire duration of this country. People make money off of human suffering. It's just sometimes the profit motive is good, sometimes it's bad, and we have to address this. But we can't do it as long as we're speaking within the very narrow range of economic discourse and mainstream media. <clears throat> Um, I mean, I think every country probably deals with a relatively narrow range. Like, I don't think that you go to even a European country, they're like, well, should we all be libertarians or should we all be communists? Like, everybody has, like, their own particular range. Like, now in Europe, the economic policy is obviously considerably to the left, in, at least in Scandinavian countries compared to the United States. But, I, I mean, I think it's reasonable that, like, because of the way that our government is structured, you can't pass radical change. It just doesn't happen, right? The, the structure of the government doesn't allow for that to happen. Um, going back to the, uh, I'm sorry, the, one of the first things you brought up. Um, Something that I actually fundamentally disagree with, I don't actually think there's that much difference between, like, if anything, between like a Trump supporter and a Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, I think that on a fundamental level, I think that most people are about the same. I think that people in general want to hang out and spend time with their family. They want to feel like they have the tools available to them to, with dignity, like take care of their lives. Um, I think that most people feel like they want to be able to work a decent job, work hard, but make enough money so that they can have a house, send their kids to school, and do okay. And then they want to have like fun on the weekends. I think that's like 99%. They want to be healthy, they want to be happy, they want to be able to have fun, want to drive a car, watch movies. I think that this is, it like explains like most people, like 99%. The fundamental drives between most people is the same. Now, how that ends up playing out, um, I, I mean, depends on the intersection of so many different things. It could be your faith, your, your religion, your geographical area, um, the history that you might have with certain politicians based on where you're at. Um, I, I mean, where your political interests ultimately align is a very complicated question. Um, but I, I do disagree with that idea that fundamentally a Trump voter is like a different type of person than like a Bernie Sanders voter. And if anything, I think it's, it's kind of ironic is that the, some of this bend towards this um, I was gonna say alternative right, not like alt-right, but like whatever you would call Trump, because he's not really a neocon, he's not a neoconservative. Like a populist. Um, yeah, right. this populist bend has shown us that actually kind of is some similarity between people on the right and people on the left. Um, is this, a, this is something that I see a lot of left-leaning people make a mistake. When you have a debate with Charlie Kirk, and you attack him and you're like, you just want to make it so it's easy for corporations to run America. A lot of these newer conservatives are like, no, fuck corporations. I don't want them to be able to run America. We should tax the fuck out of them. A lot of these people on the right, or Trump, who is like, you know what? I want to tariff people. I want more protectionism. I want to protect American businesses. These are things that are very anti-establishment um, Republican, very anti-big business. A lot of businesses are hurt by those tariffs. A lot of businesses are hurt by stricter immigration. Um, and I think represent kind of um, maybe, I don't want to say like a wake-up call, but maybe this idea like, well, hold on, maybe there is some similarity between what people are reaching for, you know? People on the left are quick to, to point out, well, billionaires are the reason for all of my problems because they're holding all the money. People on the right are quick to point out, well, you know, brown people coming in and taking my job so that I can't work a decent job and, and take care of my family. These guys are ruining my life. I think at the end of the day, most people 
want the same thing. They just get there in very, very different ways, which is where my criticism of the media comes in. And the, the hyper-partisanship um, creates these partisan divides where there aren't any. Like, everybody in America agrees on healthcare. Everybody in the United States thinks that everybody else should be happy and healthy. We just dramatically disagree on how to get there. Republicans think that any individual has the ability to afford it if they really try. People on the left think, well, no, a lot of people don't have access to it. But the fundamental drive for everybody to have health care, I think most people agree with that, save for you know some very sociopathic people, but it's the hyper-partisanship of the media that sold you like different sports teams is driving this artificial wedge between people, making them think they disagree on fundamental issues when I don't really think they do. I completely agree. I believe the media is, um, is, is unnecessarily driving a wedge on people who fundamentally would agree on the same issue. I just don't think there's a way to remove that wedge or that pressure without addressing the fact that media is ultimately beholden to corporate interest. Like, I think what you said actually speaks almost to my point. You talk about how Bernie Sanders supporters and Trump supporters want basically the same things. And we could, I mean, I suppose if we wanted to get anarcho-syndicalist on it. We could talk about how if you asked a person back in 1880 what they would have wanted, they would have said, you know, after uh, after my 12-hour shift six days a week, I just want to spend time with my kids. Our expectation for what a good life is is always going to be subject to the Relativistic force of the time, yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. We're not exactly at a post-scarcity world yet, so, you know, I'll, Maybe. I'll you know. I'll keep the champagne bottles in the cellar. Um, but the point I want to get at is I, I agree. Fundamentally, people want the same thing. It's just the degree to which you've achieved class consciousness, I would argue. It's a highly ideologically loaded term. But when you take a look at, for example, and I know you disagree with Bernie on some policies, for example, um, uh, 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 rent control. I know I disagree with him on that. There are a few other things, uh, uh, not off the top of my head right now. But broadly speaking, I'm sure you could agree with me that when it comes to trying to propose solutions to generally increase the quality of life for most people, Bernie Sanders supporters are quite a bit more on the mark than Trump supporters. I mean, Trump supporters are... But that's, you don't think that so? It's not the case. It, it, it seems Wait, you like really? That. You don't so think like, so? The, when yeah, it comes so to the practical consequences of who they support, not just what they say they would want. So I genuinely believe that Trump supporters would look at a, a, a Medicare for all plan and say that it's evil. What they say would happen is the government would, if, if you buy into their reality, they say the government's gonna come in and it's gonna tell your 64 year old grandma she doesn't need that medication anymore because now we've gotta ration it out like all the long lines in, in, in Sweden and Canada and the United Kingdom tell us, you know, she's not gonna get healthcare anymore. You want your grandma being killed? by the government because they've decided that she's not entitled to health care. Um, you, you see how horrible the VA is ran. You want everybody lining up on the street. They can't go to the hospital. Well, you know, you want to destroy uh, the, the United States' place in the world as having some of the best health care where people fly in. Like, I genuinely believe that they think that that type of government intervention would be like a really negative thing. And if you look at historically um, American politics, both on the left and right, it, it, in the past, Americans were much more driven for towards this idea that government exists, it's, it's an American idea, government exists to give us the tools to take care of ourselves. That's all it's for. We don't need the government to, to take care of us. That's what our churches are for. That's what our unions are for. That's what our local communities are for. We don't need the government to step in and do this. And I think that there's like that undercurrent still exists, especially in rural America today, where you know they don't live in the massive city with the billions of dollars of skyscrapers and all the business. You know, they have their small community and they just want the government to give them the tools to take care of themselves. Um, now, obviously, to be clear, on an empirical level, that's beyond fucking stupid. Um, any any proposal of healthcare made by Republicans is is insanely laughable, um, borderline fucking insane. Um, but I do think that the individual supporters themselves genuinely do believe that they're mush pushing in the right direction. But that but that's the thing, though. I completely agree. 
and through you know the the the, the guise of corporate media they are moving in the opposite direction to where they need to go i i do believe but i don't believe i'm not one of those people who believes that all trump supporters are bad people i think that's a very moralistic way of okay. looking at how people develop their political earlier it kind of sounded like you said that so i think they do okay. i think they do bad things sure okay. and i think i suppose that would make them bad in a purely utilitarian sense but at a core i do genuinely believe most people want things to be, want good their for to be taken care now, of yeah. now if you look maybe at their their views on say for example immigrants or trans people then i think maybe we get some actual like you know bad uh, tendencies, but when we're talking strictly on economics, you mm -hmm. know, I'm much more concerned with what it takes to incentivize people to make decisions that are in their best interest. Um, because th right now we're just not cutting it. Half the country doesn't even think climate change is real. Mm -hmm. uh, they went along with Trump thinking that coronavirus was a democratic hoax until he had to declare it a national emergency. Mm -hmm. And basically everything the Republicans have done at national government levels has been downright sociopathic for the past 20 years. Sure. Ever since, Bu I mean, before Bush too, but I think, it, I think it's gotten worse maybe? I don't know, I'm only so young. Partisanship right? has gotten worse for sure. Definitely, yeah, yeah, and the degree to which I suppose they feel comfortable doing things that are clearly against the common interest of Americans. The Republican Party, what they passed through, Mitch McConnell leaving hundreds of congressional bills just sitting on his desk. I mean, this is inexcusable behavior, but they'll defend it until their dying days because it's part of this broader populist movement, you know, owning the libs. Um, but I think, I think that is manufactured, and what's more, I feel as though it's our responsibility as people who I would like to believe we have better ideas than most Republicans when it comes to how to make the country a better place. I think it's our responsibility to take on the systems that are keeping our democracy from genuinely representing what the will of the people, again, I hate that term, it's so inherently fascistic, but what the interests of the people um, should be. And so when I say should be, I don't mean in broad ideological sense. I just mean if you want health care, if you want VA benefits, this is a generally good direction. This is lunacy. Yeah, so I guess like what, where do you go then from here? Because my problem is that, and I'm, I'm not saying you do this because I know you don't because I wouldn't be talking to you if you did, um, but like a lot of left-leaning people are, um, I'm talking broadly like the Bernie or Bust mentality. Um, it seems like that this revolutionary ideology is generally most easily held if you're in a pretty comfortable position. Like, if you're a guy that's going to school, mom and dad are pretty wealthy, it's pretty easy to, you know, hold up your BB gun in the background and it's like, yeah, we're, the revolution is coming. Um, but when it comes to, like, actual people that are working right now or maybe disaffected groups like uh, gay people that, or, or women um, that might lose the ability to have an abortion in yes, the United States. that's coming up. Um, that this idea that we just throw everything out until a revolution happens is deeply troubling to me. It misses all the problems that actual working class people have, and it just kind of brushes them off to the side for this sexy fantasy of the massive revolution rising up that uh, who knows how many years away we could be from that. Like, But are you criticizing their ends, or are you criticizing their efficaciousness? Um, I, I mean, I, I think that the... I think I think the thing I'm most critical of is 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 the political effectiveness. Okay. Like I, I don't think that I just don't think it's effective to take a minority of the population because progressives are hmm. and to try to hold the whole left side hostage in the hopes that more people will come over to your side and then until then you just say well screw all working class people let them suffer in the meantime they're going to all be martyrs for our cause. It's kind of like the broader problem that I have. I, uh, I'm not a Bernie or Buster. Mm -hmm. Allow me to defend Bernie or Bust, if I may. Sure. Um, there's, I, I think that accelerationism gets a lot of bad rap sometimes. Accelerationism, I mean, I know you know what it is, but just the idea of, of, of upping the stakes until you reach a point where things are favorable to you, essentially. And I think that we implement these 
processes in our electoral system all the time. The bidding that goes on, not bidding, sorry, the, 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 the debate that goes on in Congress, you know, when you add bills to other bills, like, oh, will you not vote for it now that it has your, your favorite daycares funding, you know, put in. Um, people, the process of accelerationism, I think, is sound. It's, it's um, unintelligent application, I think, sometimes that bugs me. With Bernie or Bus specifically, the reason I'm not, and the only reason I'm not, is because I don't believe the DNC actually cares about winning the presidential election. I think that ultimately the DNC is beholden to its corporate interests, the same way Republicans are, and much in the same way that many agents within the DNC don't like Bernie Sanders that much, not to speak of rigging or anything, they just don't seem to like him that much. Um, I don't think they would ever allow, I think, I do believe perhaps uh, uh, maybe a little cynically of me, that they would rather uh, lose to Trump than win with Bernie. Um, if it weren't for that, though, I do wonder, because the thing that gets the Bernie or bust folk out of bed every morning, you know, is, is the thought like, what? which okay. is less ethical, to perpetuate a miserable system into perpetuity until we all drown, or to kick the, you know, kick the cogs until we can get the thing working again. If this was true, if this DNC was such an evilist, I, I think political organizations exist to secure power for themselves. I think that's generally what political organizations do. This idea that the DNC would say, well, if our guy didn't make it, we don't want it. We don't care if Bernie wins the election or not. We're just going to seat it to Trump and we'll get our own guy in next, next election cycle. Um, if this was true, one of the most powerful political machines that have existed in all time is the Clinton dynasty. Obama was a relatively unknown senator when he came up through that election cycle, and everybody threw their weight behind him once he destroyed Hillary. And I don't know how many people remember, you know, people, maybe I'm misremembering, it's been a long time, but like that election cycle, that, that primary was absolutely vicious. I wasn't politically engaged at the time. It was unbelievable. And I remember thinking at the time, um, like, wow, I don't think the Democrats are going to be able to come together after this because holy Jesus, like Hillary, it was pretty clear that Hillary was going to be the nominee. And after eight years, it was pretty clear we were going to have a Democratic president. And that was like, that was like Hillary's for the taking. And then Obama came up relatively out of nowhere and just whoosh, destroyed her. Dabbed on her, yeah. But DNC threw their weight behind Obama. Um, we went through the election cycle. It's not like they were like, oh, well, huh, we're not going to do anything. You know, Hillary campaigned for him and everything. And it seemed like the politics continued. Yeah. Um, Obama didn't really challenge the class interest, the DNC, though. I mean, Obama was relatively progressive at the time. But economically, I mean, Bernie Sanders is, I think you could agree, something that bothers me when the left, they'll be like, oh, Bernie Sanders would be a moderate in Europe. Oh, he fucking wouldn't. No, wouldn't. Bernie Sanders is very clearly a socialist, yeah. barely clinging onto the veneer of social democracy. And I love him for it. I, that's like, hey, great, you know, fuck Europe. Get, mm -hmm. get him out of here. We already have. Um, but um, uh, he is, I think, I mean, uh, substantively more of a threat to the entrenched class interests of, of, of the bourgeois than I Obama just, could. And I, I just want to be clear. So. I just want to be clear, though. I'm not saying like mm -hmm. there's a secret corporate meeting at the DNC where they're like, no, all right, I understand. We're not when you talk through. about, just we can just be talking about like a broad consensus. That yeah, this yeah. Guy individual sucks. actors sure, have slight biases but that lean them one I way I don't even the think other. that's Chris true. Matthews said he would like, well, do we really want Bernie over Trump? I mean, he said it, you know. Sure, that, that, Matthews was the guy that quit recently, right? Yeah, yeah, made the, the sexual harassment. That, okay, yeah. yeah, that guy very clearly fucking hates Bernie. No, of course, that guy, <laughs> clearly that guy's an outlier, but sure. I'm sure that's something that like, exists one to of some things, extent with a lot of these people. So, um, one of the things that I hope a lot of people looked at was, so I feel like, um, I actually ordered manufacturing consent, and I will read it as soon as I it's get it. It's really good. I'm it's sure it is. My, yeah. But I, I, I've seen, I, I've read a lot of stuff in the meantime that, that manufacturing consent presents like a pretty one-sided view of like, um, 
corporations manufacture kind of the ideas that people take on, and then that's basically they, they kind of like drive public opinion. But I've seen like a lot that that says that like it's actually more like a, a two-way thing that like public opinion manufactures a private sector, private sector, manufacture, but it's very much like a give and take between the two. Um, when Bernie Sanders became the front runner, the tune on a lot of mainstream media like was very surprising. When he did that town hall um, after he became the front runner, those were some of the easiest softball questions I've ever seen in my life. The hosts were pretty nice to him. A lot of people on the, on the major news stations, um, on CNN and MSNBC, um, Anderson Cooper and a few other guys, like had pretty nice things to say. Like they were pretty warm towards him. It wasn't the same combative tone, like the horribly one when he was like such an underdog. Which kind of makes me wonder. Well, you know. It, it, um, and I know you're not saying there's a grand conspiracy, but like, is it so much that all these people at CNN and MSNBC are so scared of their class interests being threatened and they don't want taxes to go up, blah, 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 blah? Or is it more just like the media knows who the public's favorite candidate is and they're more likely to be a lot softer on that guy because they want to keep their ratings up versus Bernie Sanders, who's an outsider? And then as soon as Bernie Sanders is like the front runner, they kind of like warm up to him like quite a bit. He wasn't able to like convert that into like a real political lead, but they were like pretty warm towards him in that, in that brief period. Um, I do think that it's more likely that people in the media are more likely to just be friendly towards a candidate that is seen as more popular because they want to protect their ratings rather than any type of actual class interest, corporate donor stuff going on like that, I think. The problem with, uh, by the way, anyone who criticizes manufacturing consent is a class traitor. It's okay. You don't have to listen to that. Okay. I, uh, but um, <laughs> the, the problem with discussing stuff like this is, is that it's very difficult to force one lens of analysis on why the media or an industry behaves the way it does. For sure. Invariably, class interest is a huge part of it, but also, like you said, favorability and ratings are how the media exists, mm -hmm. um, even if you know business A wants this. It's not as though, for example, like uh, the news anchors are going to go up there on MSNBC and talk about how like the opioid crisis is fake because they just got you know, a donation from a pharmaceutical. Sure. There's, there's obviously some variance there. but. As we agree, you agree, uh, the, the point ultimately of an institution is to preserve itself. That is always yeah, few Yeah, whether it's a union or government yeah. or a business or a capital, yeah. And a business functions the same way. And we know businesses have influence over policy, over media, over public education, over what bills get passed and which don't, over who gets airtime, over who gets taken seriously and who doesn't, and who gets to buy all the means necessary to promote oneself. Um, I can't make any strong definitive claims like uh, uh, the DNC would never allow Bernie Sanders to win over Trump uh, because I think I, that would ignore the multivariate analysis of, the, of how these decisions come to be. Mm -hmm. More that I do believe there are genuine biases there that can't be addressed from within the corporate media, and we will never know the extent to which that bias exists, only that it does. And sometimes I think lefties go too far attributing that bias, where sometimes people will be like, I've heard people MSNBC. say literally Jeff Bezos tells like WAPO journalists what to write. Single-handedly, yeah, yeah, like yeah. he personally It's like calling out. down the journalists, like, don't publish that article, whatever, right? But now. is it perhaps a coincidence that WAPO is pretty actively anti-Bernie, I think, after getting bought up by, you know, Jeff Bezos? I don't think so. I don't know the extent of the bias, and I never will know. All I can know is that I think whatever bias there is is a toxic influence. The question I have for you then is, I think when it comes to what we believe is wrong with this country, we would agree on almost everything. We're both uh, socially progressive, so when it comes to like trans or gay I don't gay think I would black, say almost everything. I think America's done a lot of cool stuff, even on the world stage compared to other countries, I think. Uh, you mean, uh, what do you think we would disagree on in terms of like uh, ideal world? 
Um, I mean, we definitely have a lot of work to do, but I think we're better off than we were like 20, 30, or 40 well, years I, ago. Well, I agree with that, sure, with okay. a, with the possible exception of some things. For example, I think a women's right to an abortion was probably more secure 20 years ago than it is today. That's probably um, true. Yeah. Um, but um, we, when it comes to like, do we want people to have health care? Do we want people to not experience economic alienation? Do we want people to be happy, make friends, for example? I never even get to talk about this with you, like the social elements of capitalism, the anomie from the means of production that lead to everyone feeling so disaffected and lonely, which is an increasing problem these days. People but it's very complicated. Yeah. I know yeah, it's well, difficult. It's my, my problem is that like, people always point towards capitalism as technology doing Technology like, is capital, also a huge. Yeah, industrialization is a massive thing. You know, like the USSR hunted some species of whales almost out of existence. The USSR drained the Oral right. Sea, which was like yeah. the fourth largest body of water in the world. Well, um, I wouldn't, I don't claim the USSR. Okay? Sure, I, 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 I understand. But I'm capitalists. saying that these were people that were, were not driven necessarily by profit motive, but by government mandate. Um, and, and you know, like, we, it's so funny, like people today are saying, well, now more than ever, you know, we see that we needed Medicare for all based on the coronavirus. Like, really? A lot, a lot of the big problems we have with the testing had to do with Trump himself making decisions about, you know, um, our, our, our um, the, like the, was it the CDC team or what was it, the? They, he got rid of the pandemic team in 2018. Yeah, the pandemic, yeah, the CDC that, that Obama had instated, I think after the Ebola thing. Or, I think so, yeah. yeah. It was like a really um, new thing. So, like, would Medicare for All really be that much better at addressing this problem with somebody like Donald Trump at the top? Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure. Now, not to say that, like, our current system is better than a Medicare for All or any type of universal health coverage in any way. I just don't think that, like, these problems are solved or addressed. And I think sometimes they're, by changing economic systems, and I think sometimes they're misattributed to different types of economic systems as well. I think that industrialization under socialism would lead to just as much climate catastrophe as industrialization under capitalism. I have to I have to challenge you on that. How? And you, because because you've cited the USSR as an example. But when I say I favor socialism as a solution to many of these problems, I do this with the caveat. The reason I believe this is because I believe the fewer power hierarchies there are in a society, the better things are for everyone. Uh, the USSR, the difference between the most powerful man and the least powerful man in that society was infinitely greater than that which we have here today. Yeah, like now, I'm not... so. If I should be specific, it is not capitalism then that is the issue. It it's is any system hierarchy. which it's any system which promotes hierarchy. But e so feudalism like, I, worse than capitalism, and before that, the emperors and slaves of old. So, like empirically, I can argue economically that I know that's not true. So, for instance, if we were to talk about factory farming versus personal farming, personal farms are so much more disastrous for the environment than doing it on a large scale. Now, I don't know if that would apply to every other type of thing that we could do, like at scale. But I know that generally, producing things at scale is a lot more um, or is a lot less damaging to the environment than doing it in highly segregated manner. I'm not manners. opposed to at-scale sure. manufacturing, though. Obviously, factory farming has its problems. I'm not sure, defending. of course. Right, right. Uh, yeah. but, but, but again, I've, I mean, if that um, factory farm... But I'm saying necessarily that would produce some but form of hierarchy. Large, right, right. But I think that hierarchy, as so far as it exists, because some hierarchies are necessary, there are hierarchies of talent and there are hierarchies of, of public relations. You know, obviously, uh -huh. not everyone can advocate for their own rights in a completely equal environment. But um, a lot of the problems that we see, I think, fundamentally are reinforced by the divide between not just the big firm and the small firm, but the fact that the big firm has one CEO who makes $62 million a year, who you know personally lobbies to have favorable bills passed, rather than a broad collective of people. But that's but not, that's, that's a that's microcosm. Not even true, that's though. a microcosm of the issue, though. But it's if you not, take a look at a, it's not a, just the USSR, one, it's not just one CEO, though. It's well, an I entire to, board of directors that's representing the will of all the investors that has a fiduciary responsibility to deliver returns to the company. Like, okay, well, well, that the, the the existence of private capital is obviously something that I would take issue with. Sure, but obviously, okay. I mean, we have to be a little bit simplistic Sorry, here. Any economic, I mean, sure. God, we could for for any length of time, but broadly, I mean, it's 
Industrialization has brought about many of the problems that I think people misattribute to capitalism, but sure. I think capitalism reifies and amplifies them. Because After it's all, good at because it's good at controlling markets, sure. It is so like if you wanted to say like socialism would be way better for the environment than capitalism because socialist countries would probably be slower to technologically evolve. Yeah, I mean I could I could probably nah, agree with that, sure. That's not the but argument. But like that's I'm cheating, right? Wait, no, well that is cheating, but I'm not saying that a socialist economy would be slower. I'm saying though perhaps in the case of climate change, a socialist economy might have a greater degree of transparency and a greater degree of of, um, what would you say, market accountability that would lead to people, in a democratic sense, being more open to the ideas of taking cuts to their manufacturing, not just the people who work there, but yep. broadly implementing I policy. Under, and I, we've had but this we, conversation where seen I, this I understand before. the transparency, but the idea that you could get that, that an average person would even care about that level of transparency between every single industry, I think is Fantastic. What, what, if, what if we just take a huge issue like climate change and we get rid of the fact that all of the major media outlets that are pushing this climate change as a hoax nonsense are largely funded by people who either directly work with or are buddies with um, oil and gas companies. If every Murdoch-owned uh, media company, we take Australia, we take the UK, we take the US, these are where the climate change debates are. Nowhere else do we see this degree of contention. These are the wealthiest countries in the world, and somehow we f are subject to the greatest amount of disinformation on this. If we just take away that, if we acknowledge the fact that it is in this specific instance, corporate power, the divide between the powerful and the not powerful, that is contributing to misinformation, which is contributing to people's belief that this isn't something we need to make sacrifices for, I think we would have been able to take steps sooner. And I agree, but my criticism with the media there still stands. But I would argue that in a socialist system, the exact same thing could happen. Happen. That a large collection, a co-op owned firm that has all the workers, if anything, they would be even more driven to, to misinform the public because every single one of them has a personal vested interest, right? We can argue that a capital owner at ExxonMobil uh, might, might be, you know, capitalistically motivated to lie to the public about whether or not fossil fuels are damaging the environment, um, but that's just him. Arguably, his workers shouldn't care as much because they don't get as much money to this for it. In a co-op, that could actually be amplified, where now every single line level worker feels like they're personally invested in telling people that climate change isn't a big deal because they heard it from their union leader who heard it from their union union leader who heard it from the guy you know, at, at whatever levels because they're all personally invested in their job because now all of them are reaping rewards and benefits from it as well. I think in, in both these situations, you need a third party body to come in and, and, and figure out what's going on. You know, This is the EPA. These are guys that they're not a co-op, they're not worker-owned, they're not capital-owned. These are uh, this is a body that's supposed to make relatively unbiased decisions about you know the status of do these people harm the environment or not. I don't think that that making it all collective helps it. I don't think having a single capital owner there you know lobbying. I, I wouldn't trust anything he says. But. In, in, in all cases, it has to come from a third body. It's not the, the economic system doesn't take care of I'm itself. Not, I'm not arguing we should get rid of a third body. I'm fine with regulatory industries, and I would expect there to be pretty severe regulations on any cooperatively owned industries. I don't think they get to get away scot free just because they're cooperatively owned. The issue is that this fundamentally is the concept of class consciousness and of class interest. If you take, for example. Uh, 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 let's say we've unionized or we've collectivized like the oil industry. I do believe that the people um, within that system would be incentivized to lie about the extent to which climate change is like affecting um, our system. The difference though is that the system through which they have pushed that misinformation isn't just the oil industry and the government and the media. It's a massive higher order hierarchy that is pretty much 
entirely orchestrated by um, CEOs, stockholders, um, uh, uh, venture capitalists, uh, higher level politicians, everyone essentially with you know a, a tremendous amount of economic or political power. And it is the union of these interests that allowed this upper level system that subverts our democracy to be built. I agree that the oil company would have an interest in um, uh, uh, collectively owned, you know, pushing this anti-climate change nonsense, but it would be them and them alone in a void. There wouldn't be this huge network, this I architecture. Yeah. I agree. I understand, of course, and I'd be happy to talk about it with you more in the future, but we can look previously um, at, at other instances where power has been democratized, and this does lead to greater clarity in issues that you would expect the little people would have a similar interest in pushing misinformation on. I guess like th those would be the cases where I would want to see it because, uh, yeah, I guess in the three, the three, the only three examples that I'm very familiar with would be the USSR, um, China under Mao, and then <clears throat> Vietnam. I where, don't own these examples. I dis disavow. Yeah, I know. Yeah, disavow. Yeah, that's the thing. You get to disavow every system that you don't like, but now I have to like inherit all the messy atrocities that are the current capitalist system. All I want to talk about is the next step. I'm not talking about anarchism or like the glorious post-capital revolution. I just think, what do we do right now? We can't seem to make any ground on this on climate change. And yeah, and that's and that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. It's like, well, where do you want to see the movement go from here? One thing here's here's an idea that I really like. I and ugh, my tell me what to do. Give me instructions. My libertarian is coming out from my my teenage years, seeing states try things, I think is a really good step forward. When some states are like, hey, we're sanctuary cities, we're not gonna report people to ICE, fuck you. And then seeing, well, how does that play out? How is California impacted by illegal immigration versus other states? Um, California, um, God, I haven't looked at how it's gonna impact my taxes yet, but I think California has like a form of social health care right now. Um, Medi-Cal? Medi they, they recently, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they implemented. Like, there's like Wasn't a penalty. Was it really recent, or am I thinking I, something I different? I think so. Like, there's like okay. a penalty that started last year or this year for it and everything. I, I think for, I should have read more about this. There was another but, state that's implementing like a Medicare for all type thing. Yeah, Isn't possibly. There? Was and it Colorado? If states, if states try this like step by step, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I can really say this, but like, arguably, it's kind of how gay marriage kind of came about. I mean, it was from the Supreme we Court, but it started too. by state by state by state. Yeah, marijuana legalization, cannabis was legalized state by state. Hopefully, the DEA or somebody, whoever comes in next, finally fucking changes that. But um, yeah, maybe like pushing for these policies on a, this is kind of what I'm talking about in, in the, the horrible incremental change, but like pushing these policies on a state by state level, seeing them being effective on a state by state level, and then being like, hey, um, federally, these people do this, why don't we all do this? Like it works for them, you know, like uh, the, the revenue being raised from a lot of these states that legalize cannabis is pretty inarguable, um, you know, and there aren't all these horrible downstream effects that people said they were, people aren't getting high and driving their children into fucking trees constantly or any crazy shit like that. Um, Pushing for those at a local level, I think, can be incredibly effective. Okay, I completely agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think that's a. I'm I'm generally one who pushes federal power. I think because at least in recent years, there have been a lot of examples of the government cracking down on you know uh, the, the the misbehavior of some of the states. I disagree with more politically, mm -hmm. but I think if we can have like testing grounds for some of this stuff, I, I completely agree with that. I think I think that's an excellent solution. Um, with with allowing sort of more broad. Um, uh, oh, hell, and that's a great wedge issue, too, because the Confederate types, you know, those South will rise again types, always push states' rights. Like, okay, that and guns, you know, mm -hmm. you got to find the wedge issues to talk with them about. You're, you're pro, are you pro-gun? I don't... I like guns. Um, I know you like guns personally, but... Every, every national conversation we have about guns is really stupid because the only thing we talk about are assault rifles, which kill like 200 people a year. <laughs> Five. It's, they're, yeah. they're problems that relate to guns have, yeah, it's, it's a complicated conversation, but yeah. Yeah, okay. I'm generally very pro-gun, you know. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't mean I don't mean to hold you account to all the problems with you know capitalism or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I understand that we both recognize there's a ton of wrong done in the world. Mm -hmm. um, it's more th a, a building sense of frustration. I feel that I know a lot of other people are feeling right now. We are very quickly headed towards like populism, just being like the rule of law in this For country. Sure. Um, but it looks like um, I personally believe that Biden will lose to Trump. It seems like there's leeway to go on both sides there. I don't really know. Uh, no matter what, though, I don't think the right's going to go back to like Mitt Romney era corporate. Like, you know, clean, clean. It'll uh, be interesting to see what happens. I, I have yeah. no idea what happens after Trump. I, I don't know how they replace the cult of personality. But I don't know there's an increasing, you know, populist fervor on the left, too. Bernie Sanders, maybe he didn't get, uh, like, within a hair's breadth of the presidency this time. But, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, he's a socialist, you know, and him getting this close means something. He's not a socialist. I would be careful um, of that, but. I think he is. You don't think, look. like, he's, well, I think he's covert about it, but I think he genuinely, I mean, with all the stuff he said anti, like, uh, he's, you know. I think um, he's pretty, he's, he's firmly a sock down, and maybe he flirts with democratic socialism. The most socialist thing I've ever heard Bernie Sanders say was, um, it's not part of the Green New Deal where they where they suggest twenty percent workplace of, democracy. Yeah, twenty percent yeah. of each core. That's, that's like the most socialist thing I've ever heard. By the way, base. Um, uh, uh, just want to say that publicly known. Um, sure. I think he's covertly a socialist. God, yeah, maybe he might I, be. I, yeah. I think that labeling himself that way probably hurt him more than anything, rather than just calling himself a sock dem. That's what I wonder about, though, and I think that's relevant to what I want to ask you as well, because. Um, I think we agree broadly that there's a, a unified need for people who are pushing policy and people who are running around the streets with, you know, their, their picket signs, what have you, mm -hmm. um, being accused of being like Antifa terrorists by Fox News. That's, you know, our job, I think. Mm -hmm. But I think what Bernie Sanders did was very, very special. Not necessarily his bid for the presidency, but his inspiring this left-leaning populism in so many people in this country, and him destigmatizing the term socialism a little bit. Maybe not to the Republicans, but at the very least to moderates and Democrats. And I think this is only going to lead down the line to angrier and angrier elections, to more and more I, terrorist attacks. You know, we have a lot of white nationalist terrorist attacks going on right now. I think that we're going to see an increase in this. Eco-fascism. Eco yeah, eco-fascism. We're, we're going to bring it about, and I think things are going to. Grow grow more and more violent with time, and I just don't know if there's a stopgap, a, a democratic stopgap, a, a civil way of processing these antagonisms outside of some radical shit. And to that I ask you, what would you like to see revolutionaries be doing? Obviously not taking the streets with their, you know, AK-47s, but what would you like to see them be doing in terms of propagating information? Because um, you criticize a lot. I know Kyle Kalinske isn't technically a socialist, but by God, he sounds like one when he talks about the media conspiracies and what. Yeah, I, this is a hard question because what I want is way different than what you should probably do for public. I just don't like it when people say dumb shit that is just not true. Hey, me, hey, <laughs> I try not to propagate misinformation. Yeah, yeah. I try my best. We all I think for the most, I don't sometimes. think I generally hear you say anything really stupid. I, the one point I, I will admit, I this is I'm owning up to this. When I heard the 1.5 trillion thing, I just saw the number. I didn't know it was the Fed. Sure. I just thought it was Trump. You know, sure, yeah. so I did the student loan thing. Oh, now yeah. I know it's the Fed. Print mm -hmm. money, burr, burr. Now I know. Okay, mm -hmm. the memes educated me. Yeah, I guess like my, my biggest, <laughs> my, my two biggest things, I think were, were the two points that I brought up earlier is one, recognize that you have to work within the whole system. Like being anti-establishment is sexy when you're a teenager, 
but eventually you have to grow up and realize hey, you want to get shit it's done. It's sexy. The you got to work within through. the establishment, right? Bernie Sanders, like well, I believe, when the postmortems are being written about that campaign, a lot of it is going to come down to him not reaching out for the endorsements that he needed to. Bloomberg had more endorsements than Bernie Sanders' campaign, and a lot of that was a deliberate effort on their part. Maybe they like, maybe they thought being anti-establishment was sexy, and that was part of their draw. But like, you need to have friends in in places like you need to have people in the media that you can communicate with that you can talk to that can help you with messaging you need to have people in congress that will actually sign your bills you know the green new deal looks good on paper doesn't mean anything if it's not being passed in an era where we are passing records amount of legislation through the house that's all dying on the senate yeah, just um, but like yeah like, like desk. there are it's a graveyard so um one so, so the, the one thing is you have your allies okay even if you disagree that's fine but don't shit on them for, for their disagreements, you know, like AOC's like ex-campaign manager shitting on Democrats in vulnerable districts because they weren't ready to fucking march out with, you know, like a hammer and sickle flag. Not cool. Not good. Don't go hard after people that are on your side is um, is the one thing. And then the second thing is um, recognize that there are lots of positions available to be worked by lots of different types of people that we wouldn't hold a political activist to the same standard that we would hold a political operator, like, like somebody in Congress or whatever, or that we wouldn't hold something like a media person, you know, yeah. um, that he said it himself, you know, organizer in chief, not commander. In exactly. Chief. Yeah. I feel like he acted like an activist. Yeah. In ways in a, that maybe I agree with sure. you very much. In a dramatic shift thing. from my 2016 self to quote Hillary Clinton, it's very important sometimes to have a private and a public position that you don't go out as a, as a congressperson, you don't go out every day on your sleeve with the most aggressive plan of action. You know, you take what you can get votes on. You know, you but, there, but there is sort of a slippery slope there because eventually that sort of complacency can lead you to being the same like a uh, Paper mache, like boiler. That's all plate. you can do as a politician, though. The activists are the ones that have to drive well, American politics. Well, that opinion. depends and, and, on how many politicians are willing to link their arms together and really get change done. Well, you can link your arms together all you want, but the longest you can do it for is two years. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, if you lose all your offices and then everything gets rolled back. I think you can do it like, while keeping, you know, the, 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 the support of your Democratic mm -hmm. constituency. Well, that's I, the challenge, right? It is, is you have to push for as much as you can. You know, like the AOCs. Bernie Sanders is a very popular senator, I think. Isn't he the most popular senator in the he uh, might be but that's but, in, but it means something it means he can be him which in he vermont try in vermont right? but AOC that's a can do it in a plus 60 blue yes, district very safe that's great but, but these aren't the people that are getting role. the legislation passed we need the people from the vulnerable districts to come out to win those seats to flip them in the house and maybe in in four years hopefully maybe the senate too um these are the people that we really need that are going to drive real legislative change what in america what do you do when they're not doing their job because right, right now, AOC, Bernie Sanders, they're doing great jobs being activists, you know, disguised as politicians. Fantastic. They get so many likes and retweets. You know, everyone loves them. Yeah. Within their own constituencies. Exactly. But when it comes to people like Pelosi, for example, and I admit I, I'm not completely read up on her entire history. God, you know, she's been doing stuff for a while. But it does feel very often like she's not f fulfilling her end of the bargain, you know. The, the, the goal is supposed to be people like me or Sanders or AOC or whatever um we're supposed to be very angry and we get people's interests drummed up and then they take those interests and people like pelosi are supposed to filter them through the machine and make something happen but well, lately it feels like her and people like her aren't just overwhelmed by how ineffective the system is they're also actively contributing to an inability to push forward certain measures but they they have to work within like what they have but then what do we do you have to 
public opinion has to change. But, what, but how do you do that without- Not by have, telling everybody to vote on some radical piece of legislation that's gonna get them all kicked out of Congress and then bring in all Republicans. <laughs> I would be interested to see how much that actually happens. So there was a, um, there was a big study done by the e oh god, I don't remember. Is the name. this like the it, is like the Medicare for all issue lead to a higher percentage chance? Of yeah, it was being, like the Medicare right. for all issue was a huge wedge issue, and almost every Democrat that ran on it lost horribly in the districts that they tried to run, and in all of the contested districts where people actually managed to flip a, a seat, it was for people that ran opposed to Medicare for all. Yeah. That like those types of important wedge issues are Which brings us back to manufacturing consent and how corporate media keeps well, people. Well, then from manufacture the consent. That's what that's Bernie what Sanders I'm raised to more do. money than any other politician. You've got the money, you've got the support around the country, oh, now you've got, and you've got the social media support, you've got the alternative media, you've got the uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is arguably maybe one of the most popular politicians yeah, in the so. entire world. So you've got the social capital, um, you've got the financial capital, to some extent, Bernie Sanders raises a crazy amount of money. Now you have to get the political capital. You have to start changing people's opinions in some of these areas. You have to get some of these people on your side politically. Well, wait, 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 are you talking to me like I disagree with you? I agree with you oh, completely. Sure. This is, but, but this is at least fundamentally non-electoral. This isn't just you run with your ideas. This is we are going to orchestrate through our own media a change in the public opinion, and then we'll be able to get our cool shit done. Sure. Which is, of course, how, I mean, this is why you know, he calls himself organizer in chief. This is fundamentally activist work. But if you unify the activist work with the money necessary to actually change people's opinions, mm -hmm. then you can really get work done. The only issue is Bernie Sanders has made a lot of money, a tremendous amount of money. Um, but in terms of his overall spending capacity, you know, he's a fraction of what Bloomberg could do. It would take one billionaire in this country, one secret socialist billionaire, you know, to single-handedly do what the, what the Murdochs have done or the Koch brothers, you know, and you propagate know, I actually, a new revolution. I think to some extent... Dirty um, billionaire money, I know, but... I think to some extent, I think that there is an uncomfortable reality that is settling. I think that a little bit of this election has kind of been a referendum on how much does money in politics actually drive public opinion, at least when it comes to campaign fundraising. Because people would have led us to believe, especially progressives, that it would have had a far more oh, no. greater impact. Steyer was a billionaire. Bloomberg didn't outspend Steyer by that much, and that dude is a WH Omega lull. Nobody knows who Steyer is outside of South Carolina, where he still, what, did he get third place in South Carolina? Uh, yeah. he, in the one state that he banked everything on. This guy spent hundreds of millions of dollars, got nothing. Bernie Sanders, like, Biden won in states where he spent like six thousand dollars. No, and but Bernie Sanders. Now we can talk about earned media, unearned media. Right. Well, I would like say it's not the money matters, but not so much in the campaign financing. It matters more in who the moneyed interests actually believe should be supported. But and Bloomberg was able to buy before he stepped on the debate stage. Imagine if he wasn't, you know, a horrible, you know, proto-fascist. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Imagine if he was actually a human being with human skin instead of reptilian skin. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 like he was able to buy like thirteen percent of the vote. I mean, that's a did he buy? Did he buy it though, or did, he, did he was he able to get by on his name recognition as a three-term mayor of New York and as somebody that has like the Bloomberg media empire? I'm like, pretty sure if he had run with, without the four hundred million ad buy, that it, you have to admit it must have contributed substantially. A lot of people who uh, I remember there was uh, there was some study done on uh, who you supported and how recently you'd made that decision and why you made that decision. Oh, and, and Bloomberg was very very very. Um, 
people were recent, but they were more likely to vote for anybody right, because else it was because Bloomberg. it was a placeholder. It was a placeholder. Yeah, 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 you yeah. just see the name on TV. Same way when I'm driving down, I don't know all mm -hmm. the local city councilmen, but I see names on signs, and you know, I pray to God when I'm at the voting booth, like, oh Jesus, I hope it wasn't a Republican's house. You know, when I drove by that sign. Um, the degree to which money matters in this sector or another, again, I think it's it's very multivariate. Um, but it is undeniable that the ability to move money behind the scenes is one of the greatest uh, sort of contributors to the the um, manufacturing consent element. You know, again, I, I bring up Murdoch a lot, and I bring up the Koch brothers a lot because, as somebody who uh, deals with a lot of conservative uh, media online, almost all of it trickles down from them. Stephen Crowder or Ben Shapiro, and a lot Dave of other Rubin. outlets. Uh, yeah, 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 Dave Rubin, and and these are, I mean, got this. YouTube. I mean, if they're willing to bankroll like millions of dollars to prop up these highly effective, like conservative, you know, um, propaganda machines, they're absolutely doing it at the higher level too. And we, you know, we see what we can see. Sometimes the money is, you know, dark, um, and we can only really assume through collective interest what they are and aren't doing. It's just, it's so frustrating to me that by way of my political agenda, being opposed to the people who have money, I am, we are almost constitutionally incapable of assembling the same kind of media influence, regardless of how popular ideas are, as somebody on their side would be. You can be a conservative, sound halfway decent, look good in a suit, there are people line up to give you money to say your stupid shit on YouTube, or anywhere else, any news show. On our side, all of it has to be blood and bone, working nonstop, 18 rallies a day, uh, you know, uh, grassroots fundraising, it's exhausting. Bernie Sanders, I mean, he did something unprecedented with all the money that he's raised. And he's done good, and I love him for it, but it's not any even close to the media influence that you can buy with real money. And I don't know if there's a way to move through that system forward. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I, I guess like one point of agreement we have is that the way that the media structure definitely needs to change, that tying like a for-profit motive on media is probably a very cancerous thing to do for yeah. society. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe like a national. I know the BBC has is, is horrible, but I think I, maybe they're horrible. Yeah, but when we say the BBC is horrible, is it horrible like Fox News is horrible? I Probably don't think not. that's no, true. No, 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 no. It's, I mean, they're pretty, I know they mistreated Corbyn a lot, but I don't think they're like Fox News, Matt. Um, God. Well, do you think then, this is what I always say. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm a very rev revolutionary sentiment or what have you. Um, Obviously, revolutions are bloody scary business. You know, the, mm -hmm. anyone, who, anyone, unironically, who's like online, like larping about how they're gonna, you know, can't wait to, to Molotov their local like ice station, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, even ignoring the practicality. Poor optics. God, get them out of here. But I've always said this: eventually, one day, there's going to be a revolution. Um, I think probably it's going to be on account of climate change. Climate migration is going to force a bunch of generally poor, generally brown people to move all across the world, hundreds of millions of them. And I mean, if we see what seven million refugees did to Europe, a billion people in Europe, mm -hmm. and how much far-right sentiment is rising over there, I can't imagine what that's going to do. And eventually, you know, liberal democracy won't be able to keep up with populist sentiment, something's gonna break, and then we have- The authoritarian regime's gonna come in and deal with it like China. And does. that is where I'm concerned, because on that day, which way the, the needle, the New York Times election needle goes, depends on whether in this country socialists or fascists, and I would consider the Republican Party to be a more or less openly fascist organization, or as much as you can be in a democracy. Um, which way we go just depends on which one's more popular. And possible. I worry we need to get as many people as possible on board with that, with that the Bernie train or further, you know, if for no other reason than because eventually it's going to be one extreme or the other. And I'm sure you would agree with me. You would rather have people with my, you know, lofty ideals 
uh, in some position, like position in charge, rather than somebody like Owen Benjamin, or a Christchurch shooter esque, you know. Um, I guess I don't know. It dep populist. depends on what flavor of leftism or fascism you you're a talking Stalinist? about. Just a few minutes. If you, we can keep yeah. going, if you guys would like for several more minutes, but then when you're ready for Q and A. Oh, I love Q and A. Hit us up. You know, I think we both are like freedom very much. I'm sure. Um, I would not be satisfied with any revolutionary sentiment that was authoritarian in nature. I've lost yeah, a lot of, of uh, a surprising number of them seem to bend that way though. <laughs> I think it's changing. I think that authoritarianism and populism mm -hmm. go hand in hand very often because you want that strong person. Yeah, you just to want come that in strong leader to, to show you because problems are complicated and you don't know how the fuck you're going to fix anything because everything is so complicated these days. Yeah. I sympathize with the sentiment, but I'm I'm sure you know with like the like the tankies and stuff. I've been pretty uh, adamant in not promoting any of those sentiments. Yeah, for you know? sure. Um, so yeah, hopefully we can get, um, the, do you want to do Q&A? Yeah, what do you got for us? Excellent, so we'll do a quick Q&A, folks. We definitely won't get to all the questions. We appreciate all of your questions. We'll try our best, but like I said, be prepared that we might not. And we want to say a special huge thanks to several people as this has been so much fun, folks. We really encourage really encourage you to check out the links in the description. I've got Destiny and Vash. I've put their links in the description for you. So if you're listening and you're like, hmm, I like that. I want to hear more. You can hear more. And also want to say in addition to uh, in addition to the thank you to both Vash and Destiny who have come here. Thanks so much. <laughs> also, who have made it possible for this charity drive today. This is the only time that I will say, hey, do a super chat. 100% of your super chat we will be giving to a charity. We're going to talk about it afterwards. We're, we're going to look for a responsible, reliable charity that is helping alleviate the negative effects of coronavirus. So want to let you know that's an option still. And Last but not least, I want to say thanks so much to Adam Friended. I have put his link in the description. This is a beautiful studio, and I have to be honest, it's, it's really hard to find a good studio and a person who's going to give you a good deal, and so I really appreciate how kind he has been in making this possible as well. So thanks so much to Adam, and with that, folks, we've got a lot of questions, so thanks for being here. I'm going to be going through these as quick as I can, and so last but not least, do want to remind you, if you haven't, please do check out their links in the description. Sorry about that, folks. I'm pulling up the, the uh, questions now. How embarrassing. Just having a, I'm stalling. I was getting nervous. I thought okay. you were going to pull a Sargon. Steven. I'd rather okay. the alt-right win than the, than the SJWs. All right, just making sure. I think I'd rather, as much as I hate the class shit, I'd probably prefer that than like a more racialized thing, which most fascism tends to do. Yeah. All right, folks, thanks so much. So first, Katya, thanks for your super chat, who said, thanks for the interesting discussion. Love it. So that's you guys. Want to say thanks so much to you again. <laughs> then we have Mothra J. Disco, who says, Republicans' platform is equal to killing the poor for the lulls. Thanks so much for that, Mothra true. J. Disco. That's my, that's my official response. It's true. They are sociopaths. They do just want you dead. Uh, there's no nuance to it. It's, it's that simple. They're like uh, fairy tale villains. We got a critic out there. Thanks for that. Peacekeeper, thanks for your super chat. They said, leaves a de Let's see. I didn't know you did debate Molyneux. Oh, yeah, yeah. it was, a, it was a, a few weeks ago. It was a lot of fun. He's very smooth on top of and inside of the skull. Oh, that's really interesting. I'll have to check that out. Let's see. 
Bryce Nance, thanks for your super chat. They said, I bet if you two had a baby, it would be a super smart and charismatic socialist revolutionary. Thank you all three for this conversation. <laughs> That's very nice. I like that. Uh, so, a steel so, savior. Take the politics from my side of the family, I guess. Steel savior, thanks for your super chat. They said, Destiny, everyone I know in real life that is Bernie or Bust is very poor and needs health care as soon as humanly possible and needs prison reform now or they will lose loved ones. Uh, okay, I don't know what to say. I mean, a lot of people need health care. A lot of people need uh, prison reform. I, I don't know what the response is to that. Um, I, I think, oh, so he was trying to counter my earlier claim about being Bernie or Bust or whatever. Um, I have a hard time believing, I, I guess this guy's anecdote maybe is true, but I have a hard time believing that these people are like, oh, okay, well, I'm okay with another four years of Trump because I don't want Biden. Like, if you, if you like, are genuinely hurting for health care or if you genuinely have people that are like affected negatively by the prison industrial complex, you know you're better off under Biden than you are under Trump. And to pretend that you can just deal with another four years of whatever sounds like some shit that a person would say that doesn't have to deal with those problems. I'm not Bernie or Bust myself. I do think sometimes people overstate the degree to which accelerationism is a privileged position, but it's really complicated. Sure. Gotcha. Thanks very much. Dinobot2, thanks so much. They said, hasn't Destiny criticized many progressives as being one-issue voters? Seems to co contradict his suggestion that progressives should only focus hard on one or two issues and not compromise on those. I think most people are one-issue voters. Um, in 2016, I was a single-issue voter on campaign finance. Um, I'm trying to think of the most favorable way. When, when would I have said I've criticized somebody for being a one-issue voter? I, like I've said multiple times, like people don't care about foreign policy. People don't really care hardcore about a lot of economic problems. I think most people are one-issue voters. I don't know when I would have said to contradict that. Pro I think I'd agree with that, yeah. Or, 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 or at least if people do, because I don't think most people vote based on policy, but if they do, I think they, yeah, very They'll pick like one single. or two, like, they're like, abortion, this is my abortion game. Like, my mom would probably single issue vote on something like abortion. Yeah. Um, or like some people, like, I want 15 an hour minimum wage, or this is like the minute, yeah. yeah. Gotcha, thanks so much. Next, Suris the Skeptic, oh, yeah. formerly known as Suris the Skeptic. Now, Suris says, just dropping some support for Vosh. I, I love you too, Suris. Um, always happy to see you in chat. Lots of love. Steven Steen, very trollish, says, Bloomberg should give one million to all instead of hoarding. Very nice. One million to every American? I think that checks out. I think he can afford that. That's, uh, That's our economic stimulus package right there. Don't think he has that much money. Uh, it's a million billion. Okay. A rule. <laughs> Sorry. That no. tweet went live on, uh, was it MSNBC? Which one? I think it was MSNBC, yeah. It was MSNBC where they had the tweet where it was like, Bloomberg spent $425 million on the election. That's enough to give every single American $1 million. <laughs> wait, was that, wait, did that actually? Yeah, it was unironically. Un un yeah, that's, it was real, that's really funny. Yeah. Not the best mascot there. <laughs> that's a very nice. Aurora, thanks for your super chat. They said, Destiny, what alternative to democracy do you refer to? Um, this is like, I, I'm going to give this ultra fucking lame answer. Democracy is the worst system except for every other system that's been tried. Um, I, I mean, I have problems with democracy, but I, I don't know. I mean, like, arguably, I think everybody would ideally want to live under an authoritarian regime that agrees with every single thing they agree with. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously, I would be in favor of that, but realistically, it's not possible. Um, my, the, only, the only worry that I have right now 
is, um, oh, you saw this with Serbia the other day, um, where the leader was referring to she as like his brother and shit. Um, so she is his. I'm not, I'm, you, I don't know the, the story. Basically, the, the, the way that my un, uh, uneducated opinion is, is that it looks like China is trying to move into a position where they're going to become like the leader of the like world, that they're mm -hmm. going to take that position away from America. Um, because in, in a democratic system, you're just you're too slow to respond to like external pressure. Which is argue, I guess it's one of the big reasons why fascists come about is because they say the democratic body can't respond yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but represent China, a lot of people. under its authoritarian government, is very, very, very quick. To, to deal with problems, whether it's climate change, coronavirus too. They, they well, well, initially, no, initially they some journalists, but afterwards, yeah, yeah, they and now they're Wuhan reaching out quarantine. to other countries to help them too, and they're taking yeah. like a leadership role on that. While America is trying to buy up the rights to the <laughs> fucking vaccine from fucking Germany. Yeah, only if we get it, folks. Jesus you know. Christ, um, horrifying, funny, but yeah, God. so yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there are definitely really strong strengths to authoritarian regimes that I think democratic regimes are going to have to figure out how to contend with. Um, we used to do it via alliances, but those have been faltering lately, so I, we'll see, I guess. I just want to disavow China's closer to a fascist regime than it is a communist one, much closer. I'm just, I'm disav I have no association uh, whatsoever, okay? Don't, don't email me. Thanks so much. Next up, we have a super chat from Osu Osu. Thanks so much. They said, what will each debater do to stop the tyranny of family courts? What would you propose to replace the evil system that oppresses innocent fathers? I think that you should do something about it, but I don't think it's this huge issue that's like so pressing that I pay it a lot of attention. I mean, yeah, it sucks that um, courts can be biased against men in some ways, but it's just not something I think about much, I guess. Yeah, I think a lot of people overstate the severity of the problem, but I do want to say that the reasons why family courts are often considered, I don't have the exact, I don't know the exact data, to, to be biased against men is usually because they see women to be sort of intrinsically better caregivers or mothers than like men could be fathers, which is a product of patriarchal sentiment. So ultimately, this is an issue where, um, where, where you know, gender egalitarianism would be sort of amicable even to men. I think men are often much more hurt by sexism towards women uh, 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 than people are willing to realize. Gotcha. Thanks so much. Let's see. Clever to swear. That's, oh, I like this. That's uh, sassy. They say, I'm happy to donate my money for you to get a better camera for these in real life debates. This camera is low quality, but debate is not. Keep it up. Well, we're glad you like the content. That's encouraging, and I do agree. This camera is, is our backup camera. We had a, a tough start. But by the way, I want to say thanks so much to Destiny and Vosh for their flexibility and patience as it was a slow start. And also, we're streaming on Steven's data right now. Steven, thank you. No problem. <laughs> thank you. I just sat and watched as other people fixed it. it <laughs> He did a great job watching. It was excellent. So, no, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. So thanks so much for just renewing for any new ones that have come in. 21st Century Socialist. Thanks. They said, Vosh and Destiny, what are your thoughts on technology being integrated more into the system or at least financial experts and scientists having more influence on policy? You want to go first? Um. So in a perfect world, I, I think, is it called a technocracy where scientists run everything? Um, I, I, I would like that. Um, the problem is that scientists for, oh, it's so complicated. Um, 
chances are if I were to go and pull a whole bunch of scientific people out of an area, um, they're going to overrepresent for certain segments of society. They're probably going to be more likely to be wealthy, probably going to be more likely to be men, probably going to be more likely to be white. Um, so I don't know how effective that body would be in addressing things like the fact that women and African Americans can't get painkillers prescribed to them in the same way that white people can, or if they would care as much to research different things related to abortion um, if they're all men. Uh, like on paper, a technocracy sounds awesome. Like, oh, cool! I can have like a literal scientist in charge of deciding how we should like, uh, or, or uh, how we we should do like Medicare programs or whatever. Like these people that study this, that would be awesome. Um, but in reality, I don't know exactly how that system would play out, just because of the preconceived biases from that highly selected and segmented part of the population. Technology terrifies me. Um, one of the problems I have with the idea of a, of a technocracy, I suppose, in addition to that, is that. Um, power structures um, need to be seen to be challenged. And a, 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 the, the more um, abstraction and the more um, uh, uh, technology we introduce to how our decision making is made, the more difficult it is for the average person to understand and thus to challenge. Right now, it's very easy for anyone to look at like our government and say, like, OK, something here is wrong. Nothing's getting passed the Senate. President's kind of dumb. What can we do? It's, it's easy to make those assessments. Um, but if you have an incredibly complicated uh, hierarchy of um, tech masters, of you know, Adeptus Mechanicus from Warhammer 40K Mars, along with AI that no one outside the people who produced it really understand, it makes it really tough to actually know what's going wrong when something goes wrong and you don't know what biases are being concealed. And that scares me. Technology, in many ways, hurts us. Um, there are some phenomenal things. I mean, I love what I'm able to do. I love, uh, you, you know, being able to stream, great. But to the effect that this has had, I guess, in the social environment of the internet, along with many, many other things, I mean, there is good reason to give thought to the idea that maybe some technological advancements shouldn't be uh, consumed and adapted quite as quickly as we're currently doing. Social media. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the average American has less friends, less partners, loses their virginity later. Everything is worse in every social metric now. Social media was originally a way to augment your social life, and now it's become a replacement for it. Um, and even, oh my God, well, I was on a, tr I was on like a Raj show a while ago where I was arguing with a guy about how like Tinder is not the same as meeting girls in real life. People like are literally thinking that like these online forums are literal replacements for like real life human interaction. You still you still go out and meet girls in real life? Um, sometimes. Oh. Huh. Yeah, this is Boomer over here. Okay, I geez, we're Canada, rolling right? back to the, to the God, the, the previous yeah, century. The, the, the real real life interactions are very 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 important. Yeah, they are. They just physiologically we're evolved. We need those things. Yeah, for sure. Lynn Owl, thanks for your super chat. Who said thanks, dads? Good debate. Very nice, Prasad. Tendel Carr, thanks for your super chat. They said, Destiny, do you think the way that you approach politics as an intellectual exercise creates a natural bias for status quo, centrist ideology and policy? Um, it's possible. Um, I, I mean, like, I, I would be lying to say that I am free of all the biases of society. Um, I wish I could think of an example, but like it's entirely possible that like certain systems or certain schools of thought could, to some extent, become self-perpetuating. Um, that they reinforce themselves. Um, I, I really enjoy philosophy, and I really enjoy psychology. Uh, both of these things, I hope, 
would kind of give me tools to make sure that I'm not like completely getting lost up my own shit. Um, it, like Vash said earlier, and like I truly believe, I'm not like ideologically married to a particular system. I'm a pretty results-oriented guy. If the socialism, you know, works out in some country, or if worker co-ops were really great, then I would be 100% in favor of like expand, you know, subsidize loans from banks to co-ops, do all these things to get them started because make it, you know, better for people. Um, yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, it's a hard question because I'm gonna. I, it would it requires me to lie to say like, nah, I'm totally free of like any type of status quo, any type of centrist thought or whatever. I I don't think I could realistically say that. I would like to think that like I do enough research or I do enough homework to make sure that like I'm not getting totally lost on like what a mainstream opinion is, and I have no concept of anything that could exist that would challenge that. Um, what would you say like heterodoxy or whatever? But yeah. Uh, as someone who has no biases whatsoever, I do think that's an interesting question um, because we pursue this very differently. You, it is intellectual, like finding the most correct position, whereas I have like a set of political principles or morals that I want achieved, and to me, what's good is whatever leads in that direction. That's why you don't like rhetoric, right? Because it it it, it moves away from the raw sort of uh, data of the no, conversation. What's the most, not what's the most correct, but what's the most convincing. Right, which I mean, I personally, I love it. I love public speaking, you know. But I do think it's an interesting question. I think ultimately the the the, the failings, and this isn't a shot or anything, because I think there are failings to both sides. But one of the concerns I have with very like um, intellectual policy-driven discourse is is I, I think it predisposes people towards working only within uh, uh, lines that have been drawn, and often those are good lines. You know, we don't want folks shooting each other in the street over every disagreement. Sometimes the lines are bad, and that's where the discourse gets really hazy. When can you cross it? When is it appropriate to? Um, of course, as I think you pointed out very fairly, the inability to function appropriately within electoral politics is a pretty big failing for many activist types. So yeah. it's definitely something to be learned there. Yeah, on both sides. So yeah, like maybe recognizing that like, well, some lines are good. Maybe it's better to work within an electoral system um, rather than doing everything in a revolutionary manner. Maybe that's a good thing to recognize. Um, maybe crazy ideas. Maybe you don't actually have to raise taxes for any of the programs you fund. Maybe the money machine goes burr. <laughs> it's, it's possible. I mean, um, you know, like that's something where it does go mainstream burr. economic true. thought was that inflation should be so much higher now for how low um, the, the Fed's target interest rates were for so long, and it hasn't happened. Maybe the money machine can burr a little bit more. I, I don't, don't have any opinion. I, I don't actually know. I know sure. libertarians are very mad about it, you know, because sure. I saw a funny well, meme. Well, libertarians don't understand anything about money at all. Well, so. I saw a funny meme where there was a Wojak with a yellow and black bow tie, and he was mad that the money machine, machine would burr. And that's burr. how I know. That's the theory that I read before sure. coming yeah. here, you know. <laughs> Thanks so much. Next up, appreciate your super chat from Wendell Curry, who asked, Destiny, what percentage of Bernie supporters do you think are Bernie or bust? Um, in terms of what it's going to come down to for voting, I think the last election cycle, it was very, very, very low. So I, I don't imagine that it'll be a, a high percentage. Um, the polling data showed that uh, Bernie and Yang were like 50% of the people pledged that they would support whoever the Democratic nominee was, whereas it was like 85-ish percent for all the other candidates. But I think that once the general rules around, you can only watch Trump for so long without like this bubbling hatred boiling up. Even Hassan on stream was like, Jesus Christ, like this guy is fucking blue-pilling me so hard towards Biden because <laughs> listening to Trump talk about this is fucking abysmal. So. I mean, yeah. 100%. After all of the, after Super Tuesday and Super Tuesday 2 and stuff, you know, all my, my chat's very angry, you know, and the anger dies down. Then we watch Trump's, uh, uh, the, the national, yeah, the national emergency dress. We're like, I'm riding with Biden, baby. Oh, baby. Uh, uh, getting rid of those corn pops. The coast to coast. Might have to stay. 
Oh yeah, just you know, feed minutes. feed them in. Listen, the blood baths, nothing, honestly, compared to what we're dealing with right now. Thanks so much. Next up, they this is a question for Vosh. Vosh, does socialism work if you think that people are inherently selfish? The belief that people are inherently selfish, if one were to subscribe to that, would be a belief, I think, that contradicts with many of the principles of, so not the principles of socialism, but with the effective implementation of many socialist policies. It should be noted, though, that I'm agnostic on the subject of general human behavior. I think humans behave more or less in ways that they are conditioned to based on improving their outcomes within a given environment. To me, it's all about... Um, uh, giving everyone the greatest possible mathematical odds of acting in ways that are beneficial to society. And I do believe that if there are selfish tendencies within people inherently, which I believe there are, we, we get you know our life, you know, we, we do what we can with it, I believe it's very important to consider the many ways in which socialist policies can be implemented such as to optimize their desire for self-preservation or self-gratification, not just to base those policies on the belief that everyone is good. Um, yeah, I, 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 try, I try to operate off the assumption that people, even in a socialist society, would be as scumbaggy as they are today, more or less. I think, I, I don't, yeah, and I don't even think it's a good, I think I would reject even the premise. Well, people are selfish, so they would like capitalism more than socialism. Well, like, if you were truly selfish, wouldn't you want to own a part of the business that you work at? Or, like, wouldn't you want a larger share of, like, like yeah, that, that idea that, like, a selfish person prefers capitalism, I think is a bit too simplistic. Well said, comrade. Yeah, of, like, how, how people actually function in society. <laughs> Thanks so much. Next up, appreciate your super chat from... Vosh, do you think that Destiny's claim that a lot of the left are class reductionists is true? And what are some steps that we leftists can do to help with this? Shout out to both DGG and VGG. <laughs> um, yes, the, the, the bastard off child of DGG. Um, no, I, I, well, I do believe that at times uh, Destiny's claims um, concerning the... Uh, the the you know frequency with which people are class reductionist may be a little bit overstated. I will say this: it's more of a problem on the internet than it is in real life. There are a lot of very edgy people who came out of a sort of disillusioned you know South Park esque caring is you know gay lol uh, mentality, and then they became class conscious and they realized, oh God, we're all being fucked over by corporations. What do we do? And I think, unfortunately, that this does lend people towards a stupid poll-esque, class reductionist um, view of the world. Uh, uh, ultimately, the goal of socialism is human liberation. If you believe in socialism but do not believe in, say, for example, an abolition of racism or sexism as separate and distinct problems which must be addressed, then I think you're missing the goddamn point. Also, um, uh, um, as a side, uh, I do believe that there is some value in rejecting liberal identity politics, but liberal identity politics is named as such because it's interested less in liberation and more in fanfare and pandering. Um, I think it's appropriate to reject that without then saying, oh, wow, you care about racism in, in movies? Wow, <laughs> lib, you know? Gotcha, thanks so much. And it's an interesting one, short and sweet. The Snake Hat asked Destiny, how will capitalism deal with global warming? Um, I mean, there's two different answers I can give. 
Um, one answer would be that capitalism, um, as the cost of fossil fuel and the price of pollution rises and rises, is going to find some awesome technological innovation that is going to power us through into the new age of green energy um, because it's going to be so cost effective and great entrepreneurs like Elon Musk uh, and, ever, and other people are going to be like heralding that movement. Um, and then the other answer is that the profit motive right now is not tied to um, environmental harm whatsoever and that we're just on a crash course for destruction and nothing will happen. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, I think it's, I, I, th I would say that the government should try to incentivize as much as possible um, investment into alternative energies. Uh, yeah, but I, I don't think that capital, I don't think that any economic system necessarily addresses climate change. I think that it has to be spurred on by some like artificial construct, like a government saying, hey, do this thing. I just want to say, whether or not you believe socialism would be a solution to climate change, uh, and I do to an extent, it is inarguable, I think, that capitalism has not been the solution. Um, to climate change thus far. At, at the, the, the problem is, you know, here, uh, one way or another, we are very much not uh, meeting needed thresholds when it comes to curtailing um, greenhouse gas emissions. Thanks so much. And Ariel Fernandez, thanks for your super chat. They said, Vosh, was the, Ita the Italian Communist Party, which came first place in the 1984 European Parliament election in Italy, an actual communist party. I don't know why you people think I know everything. I you don't know about the 1984 communist party in Italy? Well, oh, please. Go ahead. I mean, it's your area. Like, I'm actually cringing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually cringing that you weren't aware of the, the broad platform that they ran on. This is the most support that um, communists had gotten in Italy in the, in the past 40 years. They, sh since, sh yeah, I just, oh, my shut God. up. The, um, the, the, I can answer this almost tautologically. If it's a political party, then it, no, it could not have been a communist party. Like, un unless there was some crazy, uh, 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 you know, um, rejection of the traditional class hierarchies in Italy that I am not aware of back during the 1980s, um, communism fundamentally is a classless, stateless society. It's possible they were a social reformist party or a socialist party, but to be a communist party in a very much stated society is, um, I, I don't even know what that would mean. You, would, you could only functionally pass like SOCDEM or like socialist transitionary policies. I don't know what you would, you can't just, you can't just destroy the state like as a party of the state. I, maybe some people think that can't happen. I don't believe in that personally. L I'll, I'll look into it, okay? I'll read a book. They've got a follow-up question. So Ariel Fernandez, thanks for your super chat. He said, Vosh, what do you think Yugoslavia, or do you think Yugoslavia was socialist? Yugo Yugoslavia, that's with Tito, right? I don't know why I looked at you. Um, the, the, uh, with Tito, right? Okay, so Tito was a dictator in, I think, I was gonna horribly embarrass, normally I have chat to correct me if I'm fucking up or something, but assuming that Tito was the leader of Yugoslavia, this would, would have been back when he defied Stalin, he was his own special little dictator. Um, I've read some really interesting stuff on Yugoslavia's market socialism, because I'm a market socialist, you know, and they had these like collectively owned enterprises that were actually really effective, uh, you know, for their time given the resources available to them. Um, but there were some very critical problems, many of which stemmed from the incompatibilities between a hierarchical authoritarian political system and a functionally democratic economic system. Were they truly socialist? I mean, a lot of the workers did own a lot of the means of production. That's farther along than the USSR came for most of its history, so that's good. Um, but is it, is, it a, is it like an example I would look to replicate? Am I like very proud of this historically? Um, I, I don't think so, no. 
Thanks so much. And Comdot, thanks for your super chat. They ask another one for Vosh. Uh, or no, this is this is for both, and the next one's for just for Vosh. But they say, all right, obviously there's no revolution tomorrow, but what are good ways of fighting for change that are actually efficacious or effective? Please, I talked last. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the most important thing you can do is go out and vote, um, obviously. Um, not only that, but like get your friends to vote. Uh, it's also really important. Like, There's a lot of volunteer work to be done on, on, on the ground for a lot of these campaigns. If you were inspired by Bernie Sanders' performance in Iowa and New Hampshire, a lot of that came down to the amount of people that not only volunteered, but would literally travel from state to state like working with a lot of these campaigns. Um, the Bernie Sanders campaign actually had an app you, you could download on the phone to like get connected and, and whatnot to volunteer, which was really, really cool for them. But yeah, there's a lot of like places locally to get involved with politics if you like actually reach out to your political parties to find out. And I know that like volunteering for campaigns is definitely one of them. Um, and then because of how incestuous politics is, for for better or for worse, there are benefits to it. Um, once you start doing that type of work, it's easy to continue to do that type of work too. Like there's a lot of people on you know like the Obama and Hillary campaigns that are going to work in politics for the rest of their life because of their involvement yeah. you know with said campaigns. Um, so yeah, I mean that that would probably be the place I would start. Like actual like voting and, and working with campaigns would be a good place to start. Yeah. I agree. Voting is not cringe. Um, the, you know, it's it's the what do you say? Like they always say, um, if voting was you know didn't do anything, or, or if voting did anything that would make it illegal. I mean, they're, they're trying to. You know, with all the voter suppression that goes on, all the polling places they closed down in Texas. You know, for example, um, the, the the goal of revolutionaries should not be to say voting doesn't matter, God, fuck voting, whatever, and stay at home. The goal of the revolutionary should be to go out and vote and then go back home and say, God, voting doesn't matter, fuck voting. That's the goal. You know, apathy one day, but productivity the other. And I do agree about that grassroots sort of political organizing. It's very effective. I say, get rid of the apolitical people. Don't kill them. Make them political. Everyone should be invested in politics. Apolitical people are the, or what would you call it, lumpen proletariat, you know, if you want to be real real fancy with it, are, the, are the, the, the dead gray masses upon which the corporate elites are able to build their pyramids, you know? Don't let them be apolitical. Get your friends interested. I don't care how apolitical they seem. Everyone benefits. Everyone wants a job. Well, everyone needs money, at least. Everyone benefits from their involvement in the political process. Um, so push them on that, you know? Even if it's a, you know, a little cringe, you know, this matters, and it matters to them, too. Um, also, vote and get folks to do mail-in voting. Please, God. Care more about your local politics. Local politics is how you get states to implement mail-in voting. And mail-in voting is how you get Zoomers to vote because they don't want to go outside because they're playing Smash Bros. I don't know. There's a lot that can be done. And a lot of it requires paying attention. And paying attention fucking hurts. Um, because to be politically involved, especially as a leftist, is a constant source of disappointment. But that is the, the price we pay, the burden we bear for trying to make the world a better place. Thanks so much. And next up, appreciate your question from Turbo. They said, did Vosh state capitalism exacerbates the problems introduced by industrialization? Sounds like the opposite position he had when speaking to Molyneux. Ah, I want to clarify this. I think that's excellent. Capitalism is, in my opinion, the economic system best situated to take advantage of the productive efforts brought about during the Industrial Revolution. However, it has been shown, at least through the Soviet Union, that even without the profit motive, you can still very rapidly industrialize. Uh, exigent those points, 
the social and political consequences of the industrialization were a massive increase in the hierarchy between those who owned said facilities and those who worked there. And that is a hierarchy which produces a great deal of suffering and that is a hierarchy which was put in place functionally by a capitalist economy. Um, but I'm not one of those people who said capitalism never did anything good. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it has absolutely had its role in history. Thanks so much. And Al, thanks for your super chat. They asked for both, this is a neat one, what have been the biggest shifts of position for you these past years? Do you like that? Um, my, so 2016, I was like a massive Bernie fan. And I think like seeing the more intricacies in the US political system, I think his, my opinion has changed a lot on that. Um, so I used to believe, for instance, um, like corporate money drove everything that politics were like all like bullshit. Um, but like I'm, I'm much more into the like local offices and local elections matter a lot. You can't just look at national polling. Um, political strategy is very important. You can't just pull something on Twitter and find out that that should be like the rule of law in Congress, but that like paying attention to each and every district and who's vulnerable is like really important. Um, that having like a, that there's like an interwoven like association between like politicians, between media, between establishment, people in Congress and, and, and current leaders is like all really important. Um, I, I guess basically getting a greater appreciation for the entire game of politics is something that I've developed a lot over the past four, four years, I guess, um, that's been a pretty significant departure from how I viewed politics in, in 2016. Um, I haven't joined the alt-right the way that uh, uh, Destiny has, but um, there have been a fair few things. Uh, I think I've gotten a little bit less ideological um, which I think is generally a good thing because I think you should, okay, nobody is truly free of ideology, of course, but I think that generally you should be able to make arguments that could be convincing to people who don't share the same conclusions as you. And I think that, and this is something that I've had to develop because I've only started streaming over the past year, you know? Um, it's all very well and good to be voraciously, you know, populist socialist when you're speaking to populist socialists. But if you want to have any shot at convincing people who disagree with you, you have to approach things from a different perspective. So a lot of this has been a rhetorical change, or at least an ideological change that facilitates a rhetorical change. Um, I've moved over on stuff like rent control as well. I think I have a little bit more appreciation for the complexities of the market economy that we live in today. Doesn't mean I like it anymore. It just means that it's a little more complicated than I initially took, uh, took to believe, and that change will have to be not more incremental, but at the very least more nuanced than I initially expected. Um, the Fed does indeed go burr burr, you know, with the money machines, um, uh, and it's it's you know it's it's a nightmarishly complicated system. Lefties are underrepresented in the field of economics. I think that needs to change, at least in contemporary economics. Uh, you know, we've had a tremendous amount of influence historically. Thanks so much. We're going to get through just a few more questions, folks, and then it's it's already been well over two hours, so we do want to. Uh, let these guys get some rest. We really appreciate all of you being here, all your questions. We might not get to all of them, but we'll sure try to get through as many as we can. Wawa Crates, thanks for your super chat, who asked, will Trump formally debate the primary candidate? Does it even make sense for him to do so when he could just bash the person safely from Trump's own rallies or Twitter? I think he will. I, I think he would, it would look too bad for him to avoid it the entire time. He can't avoid a call out like that. He's a fucking egomaniac. There's no way he could resist the applause, right? He said he wants to go up against Biden. Um, I don't. I know we maybe disagree on this. I think that that uh, uh, Biden is a senile, um, you know, uh, codger, 
And I do think that Trump would have a pretty easy time milking applause off of him. Whether or not that means he's a better candidate, I'm not, not to that. Just in terms of like how he could like dunk on Biden in the debates, I think if nothing else, Trump would be very confident. I think there will be debates, and I am, I, I must say, um, uh, uh, sphincter tighteningly uh, uh, concerned as to uh, how public perception of those debates will pan out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Queetery, thanks for your super chat. They said, Vosh, could you explain your position on political violence? Yeah, um, a lot of people don't know what political violence really means. Political violence is just the orchestration of violence or um, the deprivation of somebody's uh, 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 well-being through or for political means. Police arresting you for anything is political violence, even if you murdered some folk. What, you think, you think the law against murder just sprung up out of Jerusalem? No, I guess it's kind of the, but it's also a political thing. Political violence is a shade, a very broad shade of grays. Um, and the degree to which you support it um, varies tremendously depending on which political camp you're in. I imagine I support it more than, uh, than Destiny would just by way of me being a populist revolutionary leaning guy. But we both support some basic levels of it, the existence of prisons, for example. Um, but more broadly, um, if you take a look, for example, like pre-abolition, like John Brown, do you really think it would be immoral if a bunch of slaves got together, hoarded up their farm equipment, and like bludgeoned their slave master over the head before making a run for it? That's political violence, right? there. It's not non-ideological. They're not just like making this jump to freedom completely through, you know, the, the abstract reasoning. Um, it's, it's political violence. And I think anyone who says they're concretely opposed to political violence believes that it exclusively means like firebombing nurseries or, or, or abortion clinics or some really out there stuff like that that I obviously wouldn't support. Thanks so much. Last one. Jack Attack LP, thanks for your super chat. They asked, thoughts on the Electoral College? I know that you two disagree on this. Destiny, I think, still likes it, while Vosh thinks it's a tool by which Republican states harm us. Um, I don't want to do a whole debate on Electoral College. We'll, <laughs> we'll both give our normal spiels for it. I think it's okay to slightly overrepresent smaller states because I think it's okay to keep states um, represent or uh, invested in like the ongoings of the union. I don't think that California in and of itself should be able to rule the entire country or, or like the California, Texas, Florida, like the larger states with the larger share of electoral votes. Um, I do think that votes should be given up proportionally. Like that's one change I would make that um, just because you get 51% of the vote in a state, um, everybody should do like Maine and Nebraska where you give it up proportionally based on the vote. So at least like people would campaign in states like uh, pl maybe places in California or whatever where it's worth, uh, you know, get, getting some more people to vote for you. Um, and, and then maybe I would change how you allot uh, some of the electoral votes. So maybe it's a little bit more equal. Like I think like, isn't somebody in Wyoming's vote like eight times as much as somebody in California? I think it's 4.2. Is it 4.2? Oh, Okay, yeah, I don't know. That's maybe still I pretty bad. Maybe I would change a little bit of that or a little bit. Maybe make it two, two, two or three point whatever to one. But um, uh, yeah, overall, I'm I'm okay with the idea of overrepresenting some smaller states just so that they're not completely and totally ignored. I know that some people would say they're ignored now, but I would say well they're ignored now because it's a winner take all situation. So there's no point in campaigning in a lot of these states at all. But that's my general yeah stand for the electoral college. Thank um, you. I'm not really sold on the idea that the Electoral College as it is now really convinces politicians to give more of a shit about folks in more rural states. Um, I suppose it's, it's difficult to tell exactly. I know that they'll just campaign, for example, in, in you know, um, battleground states. Uh, uh, you know, nobody's going to go over to like Vermont or, 
or well, Wyoming. That's because it's not awarded proportionally, right? Right, right. But but that's yeah. that's what I'm saying though. It's difficult to tell how much of this is because of the electoral college and how much of it is because of each state's vote distribution. There's currently some plan. Have you seen the CGP Gray video on this? Because I didn't know about it. There's some plan apparently where a bunch of states are signing a compact together where um, once uh, once signed and once more than 50% of states' total vote percentages agree to it, they would assign all of their delegates to whoever wins the popular vote in a national election. So once a number of states equal to 51% or more of the population have signed in on this, um, they'll just take wait for the national vote tally and whoever gets it, they'll just all award their, which is completely subverting the point of the Electoral College, but maybe is better because the way that the, uh, the way the delegates are disproportionately represented now is like really, really weird, and it creates a lot of perverse incentives where you can completely ignore some states and then spend a bunch of time on others, but it also means that millions of people and their votes are left ignored in like states like California or Texas where there are a lot of respectively conservative or liberal people. Um, I don't know. The system needs to change, I guess. It could move in a lot of directions. Thanks so much. And with that, I want to say thanks so much, folks, for being with us. I have put both of our guest links in the description box, so go ahead and check them out if you enjoyed listening to them today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much, guys. It's been a true pleasure. And as we have mentioned, folks, thanks for your Super Chats, which, which 100% will be going to charity to help try to stem the negative effects of coronavirus. And so a huge thanks to Stephen and Vosh for helping make that this kind of charity drive possible today. It's been a great discussion, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I had a phenomenal time. Thank you so much. With that, keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable. Take care, folks, and have a great rest of your day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.